My name is Luke Story, and this is the Lifestylist Podcast, a show dedicated to building the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. You, my friends, are about to hear a two-part episode entitled Welcome to the Jungle, My Ayahuasca Journey at Rhythmia, and What a Journey It Is. Along with four interviews, you're going to hear a narrated story documenting my week-long experience doing ayahuasca at a place called Rhythmia in Costa Rica. Now, this is a very special episode for a number of reasons, uh, the first of which being the obvious. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that it's been quite a long time since I've had any alcohol or drugs in the old bloodstream. Now, while our four guests will indicate um, ayahuasca, I guess in technical terms would be considered a drug, but in the context of this trip, it really was a medicine. And so for me, making the decision to partake in this particular experience was one I had to give a lot of thought to. And that said, I'd like to just give a disclaimer saying that this episode, nor any episode of the Lifestylist podcast for that matter, is meant to encourage anyone to do anything that is not a good fit for them. My intention and the intention of the show is to always serve the highest good. So plant medicines are no joke. They are nothing to play with. They can very dramatically change your orientation to life, to yourself, to God. And it's something you want to do with the utmost reverence and respect. That's one of the reasons that I chose to make my very first plant medicine experience. Well, that's not exactly true. I did a lot of mushrooms when I was a kid. But uh, my first intentional plant medicine experience, I guess you could say, at Rhythmia. I did a lot of research and a lot of prayer deliberation uh, sought counsel from a number of different people that I greatly respect before jumping on a plane and heading down to the jungle. And uh, one of the things I think that was interesting about arriving at this decision was just really following my intuition. And you're going to hear about that in the interviews and the whole process. During each interview, by the way, uh, one of which uh, is with Brandy Lynn, another with Jerry Powell, then Christian Minson, then Jeff McNary. You're going to hear a lot about the whole experience actually baked into the interviews because they were um, done in real time before and during this whole experience in Costa Rica. But one of the things that was interesting about uh, my decision, you know, as I said, having been someone that's had to really stay away from drugs and alcohol for over 22 years now because of my past experiences with um, addiction, and I've been in recovery that whole time. So I've watched a lot of people really benefit from plant medicines, but it wasn't something that I was ever drawn to. And quite frankly, something I was a bit nervous about and had to really, really go within to um, make peace with. And one of the interesting things about this decision was that out of all the brilliant people that I've interviewed, um, everyone that's done ayahuasca that I've interviewed or just even spoken to in my personal life has been a proponent of it and indicated to me that it really benefited them and that they grew a lot and they healed from it. And the only people that have been sort of anti-ayahuasca uh, are people that have not personally had the experience. And so when I was really you know, looking at my curiosity around this, I had to take that into consideration. So while there are many people that I respect, many of whom are in recovery, uh, that you know don't do anything uh, that affects you from the neck up, as we say. Uh, this had to be my decision and my decision alone, and and I really had to be very thoughtful about when I was going to do it, if I was going to do it, and where I was going to do it. And um, 
having now had a couple months to integrate this experience as I sit here on the mic and uh, begin this episode for you, I'm absolutely 120%, 500, 1,000% sure that I made the right decision for me. But as I said earlier, uh, with this kind of thing, you really want to make sure that it's the right decision for you and, and set and setting and context and intention are so important. So I just wanted to say that, you know, for me, this wasn't about going and tripping out and seeing some fantastic hallucinations and lights and speaking to ETs and stuff like that. Although that also happened, which quite honestly was awesome. Uh, it was really about expanding my awareness of uh, the spiritual realms and about healing the trauma that I've experienced in my life. And based on a lot of research and a lot of experience um, doing plant medicines in the right context with the right people, the right framework is very effective at doing that. And um, I'm here to tell you the tale. So you're going to have, as I said, a two-part episode ahead of you. We're going to jump into an interview now, and there'll be another interview in this episode, then two interviews in part two. I decided to break these into two just because it was a lot of content. It's hours and hours worth of you know, field reports and interviews, and there's really a lot of meat to this. So I thought it'd be too long for one episode. I don't even know if you're allowed to make a podcast that long. So I broke it into two, but what I'm going to do is just release them on the same day. So now you're hearing part one right after this. Um, you can go ahead and jump into part two at your leisure. Normally I'll do like a Tuesday part one and a Friday part two. And I just thought, you know what? I just want to dump this whole thing out there into the uh, stratosphere and let people digest it at their own pace. So I would highly recommend that you do catch both episodes because at the end of number two, there's some pretty interesting conclusions and experiences that take place. And of course, at the end of all this, I give a really thorough summary of what the experience meant to me in hindsight. You know, looking back in retrospect, what what actually happened to me and the changes that took place within my own heart and my own consciousness. And I'll just say for now, as we jump into this mysterious exploration of the cosmos, that it was absolutely a beautiful experience. I'm so grateful to the people at Rhythmia, not only the people that run it, that work there, all the shaman that I got to experience, but also my fellow participants that were so brave and open-hearted and as I sit here and reflect back on this experience and, you know, I'm sitting here piecing all these files together and all of these different bits of audio, I'm just brought back to the sound of the jungle, the rhythm of the jungle, the wind, the power of this medicine, uh, the power of spiritual intent intention, and, and more than anything, the power of God that created these compounds for humans to discover. And it's with the utmost reverence to the indigenous cultures that were wise enough and intuitive enough to uh, find out how to mix these different plants and make them into medicine and to really set the stage um, for them to be used across the world for healing. Um, I'm just full of gratitude at this moment. It's just such a fantastic experience and one that I hope to have again someday, maybe soon, who knows? <laughs> I think I'm still sort of integrating this one. As you'll hear later, I came back and just got really busy and there's been a lot going on. So I didn't really get to take a breath after this week that I spent in Costa Rica, but as I sit here today and spend a few hours piecing all this together, I'm just overwhelmed and awed by what a powerful experience this was. So thank you so much for joining me. And with that, we'll go ahead and dive into part one. Enjoy. <laughs> Samani vi monae, vakari 
The first of the four interviews in this series features Brandy Lynn, who is a mission-driven entrepreneur, thought-provoking speaker, and transformational entertainment artist. She's also the co-creator of Rhythmia. I sat down with Brandy in my apartment, which I have since moved from, as you'll hear more about later, and had an in-depth conversation with her prior to taking the trip to Rhythmia. Here's what we talked about in the conversation. All the messages from the universe that brought me to the decision to take the trip. Why Brandy was reluctant to try plant medicines herself when they first started coming into her life. The difference between a plant medicine and a drug. The shadow side of the plant medicine community. Where spiritual power and intellectual understanding intersect. What important lessons Brandy and Jerry learned from plant medicine and how they integrated that knowledge back into their lives, which is a critical but often overlooked step to the healing process. Why they only use ayahuasca at Rhythmia and Brandy's process of finding shaman who have the right calling and intentions and recruiting a team of shaman who come from all of the different traditions around the world to hold space at Rhythmia. Integrating plant medicines with breathwork. What happens if someone experiences a bad trip at Rhythmia? Why Rhythmia is the only medically licensed facility using plant medicines in the world? Why plant medicines are so effective as a form of rehab for addicts? And finally, the spiritual mentors and thought leaders who are drawn to and endorse Rhythmia. So this is a great conversation and a great way to kick off this series. Brandy is a fireball. I had a really great time talking to her and it was really, you know, part of the reason that I decided to go through with this entire journey was just the vibe I got from her from the different times I'd met her and I'm sure you're going to pick that up in the interview. So let's get into the talk with Brandy and then we are going to proceed on to the journey and the next time you're going to hear from me is driving down the freeway on my way to LAX headed out to Costa Rica. Enjoy this conversation. <laughs> Great to see you, Brandy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So listeners, Brandy and I met a few months ago at Whitma Live in New York City. And it was funny because I had spoken to my friend Josh. Uh, Josh's podcast is called Wellness Force, right? right? Yeah. Wellness Force Radio. Right. I think it is. Yeah. So Josh said, hey, you know, he emailed me, hey, I, I listen to your podcast. I'm a fellow podcaster and uh, there's this great place in Costa Rica called Rhythmia. I want to introduce you to them, yada, yada. I was like, cool, cool, whatever. We'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. And, you know, I just kind of went into the bottom of the inbox there to be addressed when I had time. Then I go to New York and I run into Brandy and uh, my, my friends, Anna and Kara that run Whitma Live. Oh, you got to meet Brandy from Rhythmia. I was like, hmm, wow. Okay, interesting. That just <laughs> came up. And Rhythmia, by the way, folks, is associated with plant medicines. It's a retreat center that uses plant medicines for healing. And, um, you know, it's something I've been kind of curious about and plant curious, you know. Uh, and then I'm at, I'm getting my ozone IV uh, in West LA. Uh, what's the name of the place? Oh my God. Advanced BioCell. Please give a shout out to them. They're a really great place for ozone IV. I'm in there and the nurse who administers the uh, ozone is like, oh my God, you've got to check out this book, Shit the Moon Said. Is that what it's called? Shit oh, the yeah. Moon Said? Yeah. Uh, Jerry, the founder of um, Rhythmia's book. And I was, she goes, oh yeah, it's this guy, Rhythmia, da, 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 Michael Beckwith. I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, there's like a couple more of those happened. And eventually I thought, hmm, I can't ignore signs from the universe. I need to sort of, you know, motivate myself to pursue this. And so here we are having a conversation. I got a plane ticket and I'm flying out uh, in a couple days here Yay. 
to go have this experience. <laughs> so that's that's my intro. Um, and I'm just excited to see you again because I really vibed with you in New York. You yeah. have just a really great presence. And Thank it was we, we're in a very loud, crowded yeah. kind of party environment, but we just kind of zeroed into this little zone there. We hit out from the dance party. Yeah. <laughs> I am always out. hiding we out like, from yeah. the dance party. <laughs> so yeah, so cool to, cool to connect with you again. And you know, I'm excited to hear your story because you, you got into it a little bit and I found it fascinating based on our first introduction. So here we go. So let's just talk about, um, to start with, how you got involved with Rhythmia and Jerry and how the sort of uh, magical convergence of timing happened with all that. Because I thought that was fascinating when you explained it to me briefly. Yeah. Well, I could relate to your story because uh, when plant medicine started coming into my reality, I was like, hell no. You know, my mom is a meth addict to this day. So for me, like anything that looked like druggy, I had, I didn't want anything to do with it. But I owned a marketing and branding company for most of my career. And I always had a passion for life transformation, personal development, spirituality, uh, mostly because I came from such a traumatic, crazy childhood that I found it as my, my ticket to freedom. So I was like doing every program I could do, reading every book that I could read and still was a hot mess, you know, but <laughs> working through it. But... um. Yeah, on the side, I started working with men that were transitioning from prison and created um, a program where I was teaching them meditation and the mystical teachings. And I really found that this is what I love doing. And so on the side of my business, I kind of, I, I tuned into like, okay, what's my calling? And I built out this vision board one night and it's actually pretty amazing. I made it like, I think like eight or nine years ago. And I was like, I heard... I said, okay, so what's the greatest way that I can make an impact? And I heard, wake up the giants. And, you know, within all of the human beings that are on this planet, there's solutions to all of these problems that we're facing right now. So I'm like, okay, so maybe I'm going to build out this like amazing transformational center in Costa Rica. So I put this on the vision board and it's amazing when I look back, it even has like casitas that look exactly like Rhythmia. And I had this idea to create like a, a week-long program that would have like the most progressive modalities for breaking through because I was doing a lot of work with like, um, you know, like Landmark Forum and all these really amazing programs. But I felt like there were areas in my life that I had been working on for like 10 years and I still kept doing the same thing, had, having the same pattern. And it was because a lot of that work was going through the mind but I had like, you know, we have four different bodies that we're dealing with. So if you're not addressing your emotional body, you know, your spiritual body and all of it, you know, you can have a pattern that keeps showing up in your life. So this was the plan. And, uh, you know, I made this whole vision and I just kept, you know, working on it a little bit on the side of my business. Well, in 2012, I had a falling out with my business partner. And I finally was like, I'm done with this business. Like, I don't know how I'm going to create this whole thing, but I'm, I'm surrendering to it and I'm going to be guided because my whole life, I just like, I was like chasing money and had the story like, okay, once I make the money, then I could do what I really want to do, you know? And I just was like, I'm done with that. This is that, that idea is taking way too long. <laughs> and so... I know the feeling. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Getting caught in that hamster wheel. I know the feeling, yes. Uh, so, so... I finally surrendered and I literally spoke it out loud out of the frustration. <laughs> and I said, I want to be used on one of the biggest movements on the planet. Guide me, 
Like I am not going to be the one in control anymore. And I just took this risk. Uh, like, you know, I had people coming to me that wanted me to recreate, you know, the whole business that I used to have. And I was like... The prison transition business? No, that was actually on the side, but oh, I had okay, a marketing okay. and branding oh, company. Marketing, okay, yeah, got yeah, it, got yeah. It, so okay. I would take right. like, create like, I created like a DJ toy product with Flowrider, like all this cool stuff. But my soul was craving to be in service. And I just wanted to do something that was meaningful. So... Um, right around that time, these shaman from Costa Rica reach out to me and ask me to help them market ayahuasca. I'm like, what? What is this? So I go out to Costa Rica, check out their center. Were you in LA at the time? I'm in LA at the time. And I'm like, and I'm hearing about all these miraculous healings and it sounds great, but I'm still like, "Mm, sounds like a drug still. Right. (laughs) And, uh, but the land was beautiful. It was, I was like, okay, well, this is my vision. I want to have a center in Costa Rica. So I'm like, okay, I'll partner with you guys. And you know, you guys could do this. I'll help you with your mission. And I'm going to create mine over here. And then I go back home and almost every week, just like your journey, I start getting hit up to do medicine from all these different people. And, uh, you know, like my friends that have like come out of Burning Man or or introducing me to it. I'm like, nah, nah, I'm cool. And then it took a 70 year old woman (laughs) who had been doing it for (laughs) like, so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> I took a 70-year-old woman who had been doing it for 30 years. And she was like, every year I do a visioning um, week with the medicine and you're wow. helping consult for my company. Can you come? So I was kind of trapped. I'm like, uh, okay, I'll come. And when I talked to the shaman, I still wasn't sure when I went that I was going to do it. But when I talked to the shaman and understood the difference between plant medicine and drug... Like plant medicine is something that you take to go inside yourself to actually face the things that you might not want to see. A drug is what you're taking to escape those things that you don't want to see, to have wow. a good time, right? To party, to 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 not deal with it. So I'm she, familiar with the latter path, yes. <laughs> right? So when I really started understanding that this was a medicine and, um, you know, and, and the visions she was explaining to me, they're not hallucinations. They're actually, you know, lifting the veil and being able to connect with your soul and like see, you know, uh, your higher self and what you're being called to. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I need this in my life right now. So that's when I said yes. And that night completely changed my life. Like I, I set two intentions. I wanted to see why I kept attracting these really crazy relationships with men. That was my pattern that I could not break through. And I would say, I keep attracting the same guy with a different face over and over again. And then the other was to, to step into my life purpose. Um, so the medicine was miraculous. Like that night, it went into super, super detail and like showed me every relationship with the men that I had been with and how, you know, because of the childhood that I came from. So I, my father, when I was six years old, committed suicide and I walked into the room and my mom, uh, she became a meth addict. And so until I was 11, I lived in a meth house. And so it told me you're an overcompensating mother. Like because you didn't have the mother, you didn't have the protection, you became this like 
you know, full on. And then these men have this story where they're mad at their mother. And so they're going to you to like be their mother. And it turns into this whole like codependent relationship. And it just showed me like spiraling down. And and you were able to see that pattern yeah. and the structure of that pattern on your first on journey. On my first journey. And mm-hmm. it was amazing because I, I had done a lot of spiritual work, but never like had it, my psychology broken down. And this plant, it was amazing. It was showing me basically playing out my whole story with my mother and my father onto these men and them doing the same thing back to me and how it was like draining my life force. And like, and then it was showing me, you know, this whole calling that I had with the Sleeping Giants project. And it said, this is all happening. You're being guided. And two weeks after that ceremony, somebody called me and heard about Gerard, my, my uh, now husband, and they said, you know, he wants to open a center in Costa Rica. He heard that you have a center in Costa Rica. We met up and then we were like, okay, he's partnered with Michael Beckwith, my reverend. We got to do this together. So we flew out to Costa Rica, found Rhythmia, and that's how it all happened. That's crazy <laughs> down. Oh my God. That's so wild. Yeah. Um, God, I have to process that. There's a number of different questions that sort of um, were born out of that. Is something you said about, you know, people using drugs to escape themselves and to get away from their trauma and not think about the death of the father or the addiction of the mother. Like, no, 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 blot that out, blot that out. Some of us use heroin. Some of us use a credit card. I've used everything I think under the sun to blot (laughs) out painful experiences and really not just painful experiences, any kind of emotion that's above numb is just not acceptable. Even sometimes happiness or excitement is just like, no, I don't want to feel anything. You know, I just want to be <laughs> right. anesthetized. And I lived that way for a long time. Um, and then even after stopping the street drugs and alcohol and all that, just finding anything else I could to not face it. So I, I find that to be an interesting distinction. However, um, from people in kind of the Burning Man community and things like that, because that's not really my scene, uh, I don't know, maybe it's an age thing or something, but or I just did a lot of acid at Grateful <laughs> Dead shows and, the, and hung out in the parking lot. I kind of get the, the festival vibe. <laughs> I like, feel you. I'm cool. <laughs> I haven't gone yet. Yeah, I'm not I'm, saying I won't. But, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. But what, what I hear sometimes, like I'll hear someone say like, oh yeah, so we, you know, I was at this party and everyone did medicine and then we were like doing all this crazy stuff and da, da, da. And I'm like, mm, that's not medicine. You guys were partying and that's cool, yeah. but like, let's call it what it is. Yeah. Um, and so I think now that plant medicines are becoming uh, more ubiquitous, which I, I believe is healthy. I mean, I think all drugs should be legal worldwide. Uh, and I also think that especially drugs that have a psychotherapeutic value, like many psychedelics obviously do, I'm very much a proponent for that. Legalize marijuana, like let people with cancer fucking shoot it in their neck, whatever. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> let humans be free. That's my motto. Um, but there is like the side of the plant medicine scene that I'm kind of like, eh, you guys just want to party. Totally. And then there's the people like you that are like, no, my goal was not to party at all. My goal is to look inside. And so I just, I find that interesting as this sort of becomes more popular in our uh, culture. Have you noticed the, you know, sort of the the less integrous side of plant medicine also? And what do you have to say about that? Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing like how it's really taken off since we started Rhythmia five years ago and where it's at now. And 
Yeah. I mean, especially in LA, you know, LA is like the land of where, you know, people are, you know, becoming the guru, you know, they do like a workshop for a weekend and then they're a guru and then they're teaching it the next week. So I do see that with the plant medicine and as it's becoming popular, people call themselves shamans. And I hear super crazy stories of like what's going down in like Venice and, and, you know, with the scene and, um, yeah, I think I think it's dangerous. I think that there's when you get into the shamanic realms, into the spiritual realms, there's so many I mean, there's so many things that people do not understand um that's happening and just to sit there and give someone medicine and not understand what's happening could be very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the way it seems to me. There's uh, friends of mine that you know, so oh, I went and did this ceremony and I'm like, where was it? And they're like, oh, downtown LA in a loft. You know? <laughs> I was like, dude, you went to a party. <laughs> right. You know, and it's not a, ju- it's not a judgment. I'm, I'm kind of joking around, but this is <laughs> someone who's just kind of observing from afar and watching these trends come and go. I mean, I've been right. into like you, the spirituality and personal development and health and all this stuff for so many years. I kind of see these things come and go in cycles and that's something that I'm observing here. Uh, but going back to to your origin story, there's something that's really interesting that you indicated was that when you had that experience, you're seeing this uh, psychological pattern that had been created in your relationships and such as it was um, in originating from your childhood experiences. And anyone that's been to therapy or read a book about how these things shape our lives and our psyche and how trauma affects us and creates these trauma loops and all that has a basic understanding of that. And um, even me doing different experiences, whether it's Tony Robbins or the Hoffman process or therapy or 12 steps or whatever, it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. I see where it came from, uh, family of origin, all of that. But that doesn't necessarily, in my experience, help me to stop that pattern, like just the awareness. Right. Um, it's required sort of a combination of a spiritual integration and inviting, for lack of a better term, I'll just use the word God, inviting God into my life in a very real sense yeah. um, and really surrendering those patterns to God. So kind of infusing the psychological framework and understanding and self-awareness with the power of God, because what I've been left with at times is like an understanding intellectually of what's right. wrong with me, but I don't have the power to fix it. Right. Right. The power lies within the power of that universal force that we call God or source or whatever, exactly. right? So in in that first experience then, uh, how did the spiritual power uh, meet the intellectual understanding and your vision of how that framework had been created to set mm-hmm. you free from that pattern and put you in what I'm presuming is a, a happy marriage? Yeah, I mean... It was a process. Like it's, it's not, this is another sometimes misconception about the plant medicine is that it's like a, a miracle drink or a miracle pill that you take it and then everything's great. Um, no, it was like, it's, it's just like you said, you know, there's a process of transformation. There's first awareness and then, you know, there's expression of the energy that has to be released. Um, and then there's the compassion and forgiveness, and then there's the new behavior. And so what's miraculous about this medicine is, um, it's different for everybody. The process is different for everybody, depending on, you know, what kind of work you've been doing in your life and where you're at with the issue. Um, it depends on what you're ready to receive with it. Do you need to do more work in the real world? Do you need to have more experiences? So everyone, it's a totally unique experience. Like some people have built up to a point where they could just have a 
aha, miraculous moment and it's just done. But that's not the case for most people. Most people have the awareness. And then what's beautiful about this medicine is that the spirit stays in you. So it's like helping you with integration and then life becomes an initiation. So life will get set up. You'll have the awareness and then you go into the real world. And this is where the 50-50 rule comes with the medicine where 50% of it happens on the medicine. So you get the awareness and you could even have like the clearing and the healing. Great. And now there's this new space, but how are you going to take that into the real world? And that's the difference between the people that I see, you know, do the medicine and then really be able to step into this, this new way of living. There's also people that see these visions and then they don't do anything with it. They go home and they don't put it into practice. And so the key to you know, you working with this medicine is having a practice when you go home and walking it and doing the work, you know, the 50% that's on you. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think something that's been, a, I don't want to say a deterrent, that might be a strong word, but because the, I don't know, success is not even the right word, but let's just say the progress, okay? Spiritual progress that I've made has been very slow. You know, 22 years of just plugging away little by little, day by day, getting closer to God, um, having more of a sense of surrender in my life, trusting that there is um, a universal intelligence that's there, that's got my back, that I can rely on and learning how to surrender more of my life and my problems to that, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than beating my head against the wall trying to solve it. It's been very slow and my moments of, aha, whoa, I think I just felt something. I mean, I have had some fairly acute and profound spiritual experiences where I go, holy shit, it's not just me in the room here. Right. Something is happening and <clears throat> right. it's not in my head. Like, whoa, um, communications, ideas, thoughts, prayers, working, just miracle healings that I've seen in other people and all of that. And the the thought that I've sort of had about plant medicines is that, and this is again, someone who's not done it, so I'm like skeptical thinking, no, my way is the right way because I'm earning it. You know what I mean? And I think, well, right. yeah, I could go take plant medicines and get a glimpse of God and like peek through the window, but I want to move into the house. You know, I want to be able to keep it. In mm -hmm. other words, like I want, everyone wants to get to the top of the mountain. But as, as one of my teachers said, when I interviewed him and asked him about it, he said, yeah, well, you know, you could take ayahuasca and take a helicopter to the top of the mountain, but I prefer learning how to hike. And I was like, yeah, me too. I'm hiking. Fuck that. You know? <laughs> but then, you know, it's like, to me, one of the things I really value is having an open mind and being malleable and being able to change my perception or opinion on a dime if something opens up to me and makes more sense. So what would you have to say about, you know, if you, if you achieve these high states? And this is kind of like going back to Ram Dass too, mm -hmm. you know, one of the biggest psychonauts in the history of, you know, or in recorded history. And at the end of his journey of doing psychedelics for 40 years or whatever, he's like, eh, it's kind of just about meditation and being with God. Now, who knows if Ram Dass would be Ram Dass if he hadn't done all those psychedelics, but his final analysis was like, psychedelics aren't the pathway to God. Like the pathway to God is just in your heart and through practice. So if you doing plant medicines and you get a glimpse of spirit and you get these realizations how do you then integrate and hang on to that so that it wasn't just like a, a fun trip that you took on a weekend, but something where you're able to carry that with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the part of like, you know, first of all, 
integrating your experience. Um, that's why integration is so important. Like really understanding what happened, you know, documenting it, jur- make a journal because you can have these profound things and insights. And then if you wait too long and you don't like write it out, you can forget so much of it. And then it's, it's really is having a practice. I think, um, you know, for me, it's I've I've been studying Kriya for 13 years. And so I do Kriya in the morning, Kriya at night. And then I I take the things that came from the ceremony and I try to uh, incorporate them into my day. You know, I think like setting up your morning is key. Um, having a practice and setting an intention and like really working the muscle because it's like it, it it's building a muscle. It's when you when you're trying to create a new behavior, uh, you've got to you know you're you you've built a whole life of this pathway, this neural pathway, and it's your your comfort zone. But to create a new pathway and and have a new behavior, you have to build it just like you would in the gym, and you have to put it into action daily. And when the situations come up, you know, and it's not to say that you did the plant medicine, you have this awareness and now you do a practice and it's all going to be great. I've, that's not, it's actually when you're having, when you're creating a new behavior, part of the process is to actually fall down and actually go back to your old behavior. And so it's also having compassion for yourself. And being like, okay, you know, it's like remembering that we're just kids. Like, don't take yourself so fucking seriously. You know oh, what I that's mean? Great. <laughs> like, that's great. At the end of the day, we're all just these little kids and we're doing the best that we can, but we're, we're operating on these programs, these unconscious programs. And so when you screw up, it's like, just have compassion. Talk to yourself like you're a child. Part of my practice is actually the parent me, the adult me that's now has, you know, the the wisdom that I have, you know, that I didn't have when I was a child, I'm constantly having a conversation with my inner child and, you know, checking in with the inner child and, and just seeing like, where is she at? And, you know, and having compassion when you fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> it's like just that's... talking to her like, a, like I would my own child. That's key because the ego is is held, you know, the way that, that the ego works, it's trying to keep us safe, but it's also our partner to ascend. And so when we remove the blame, shame, guilt, the, the places where we judge ourselves, when we could separate it and look at this as this program and not make it like our identity, you know what I mean? Like when I was able to start separating my ego then and taking all of that shame off of it and actually building a relationship to understand like, what what do you want from me exactly? What's going on here? And knowing the difference between my authentic self and this ego and not judging it, this is where I was able to have more of the breakthroughs because it's when you're trying to like hide it or or pretend that it's not there or, you know, the spiritual bypass, like in the spiritual community, I mean, this is, there's a whole new ego that gets created, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh man, the spiritual snob ego. I've done it. <laughs> I did too. It oh makes my God. me like repulse. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. One of the coolest things about my job as the host of the Lifestylist podcast is always being on the cutting edge and not only finding out the best products when it comes to health, but the best companies that are making those products. Now, I'm someone that's been into bee products for a really long time. And if you heard episode 175 with Carly Stein, you got to hear me totally geek out on my obsession with bees and bee products. If you haven't heard that one, by the way, go back and check it out. That's 175. 
But what I didn't know about bee products is A, how many different products bees actually make in a hive, what their different uses are in terms of health support, and also that there are just a lot of companies that are making products that are very inferior. Either they're weak or they're not tested for pesticides and things like that. So the whole like bee product game, I thought I was pretty on top of, and I got schooled in that episode, and now I'm going back and kind of re-educating myself, and I'm using all of the products from Beekeepers Naturals. So they've got a few that I'm really into. There's the propolis, which is kind of like the medicine of the hive. Then you've got, of course, the bee pollen, which is the food, that's the protein. It's actually the highest protein food on the planet. And it's also got free-forming amino acids. So it's great for pre-workout, for muscle recovery. And then, of course, the raw honey, which is amazing. And I thought I knew something about honey. It's got live enzymes. You know, if you take a little bit before you go to bed, it helps you sleep. There's some things like that. But it turns out honey is a legit superfood if you get it from the right company. It's full of antioxidants and it's just insanely powerful. Then you've got royal jelly. Now, royal jelly is the chronic stuff. That's the food that's exclusively made for the queen bee. So the queen bee lives about 40 times longer than the average worker bee. So put the math together there and you'll know that royal jelly is some badass stuff. And if you want to try all of these products that the bees make in one, I'm going to recommend Bee Powered by Beekeepers Naturals. That's one of my favorites. Now, honestly, I go through it a little too fast. It comes in a jar and I just like pound that stuff. I probably weigh OD on it. You don't need to do it like I do it. You can savor it and make it last. That's an amazing product and a really great way for you to get an introduction into all of the bee products in one jar. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, use the code lifestylist and save 15%. That's beekeepersnaturals.com and the code is lifestylist. And now back to the interview. I took a trip to India uh, once to a place called Golden City Oneness University. Um, And during this, this is like early 2000s. And they taught you, they initiated you into doing something called Diksha, which now I think they call a oneness blessing. And so you can't just do that. You have to go there and you're trained by these monks. You do a 21 day silent retreat and you basically learn how to like lay hands on someone's head and and heal them, put them in this um, peaceful, serene state and all this. And so I'd had it done to me by these masters and I was like, well, this is amazing. I want to learn how to do it. So I go to India and then really I'm going there with the intention that I want to live with less ego. You know, I want to be connected to spirit and not be so driven by these, you know, lower kind of motives, right? And I want to help people and be of service. And I go there, do the whole thing. It's great, amazing experience. And then I come back and I'm like wearing spiritual beads and like I'm doing the namaste hands <laughs> to everyone. And I came back and all my friends are like, yo, get the fuck out of here. Like, who are you? You know, like everyone just, I got completely rejected um, specifically by my one spiritual teacher who was just very grassroots, Rhoda Harley, you know, not down with all the woo-woo stuff at all, but a, a deeply spiritual man and helped me a lot. And he was just, he actually banished me. He was like, dude, I can't even, whoever you are now, you, he's like, he said, you grew a new ego. Now you have a spiritual ego. Right. You know, and that's such a, it's just one of those fun traps along the path, you know, that some of us fall into. Um, But 
because people like us are talking about it. Now maybe someone out there is like, oh, shit, I think I'm doing that. Like <laughs> playing a role in other totally. words, you know, it's like that thing where, you know, you, you, you put on the orange robes and you take on a spiritual name and not that there's anything inherently wrong <laughs> with any of that. But if you don't have an awareness that the ego can glom onto that too. Totally. Just like it can glom onto being a rock star or being a sexy woman or whatever your ego, you know, happens to feed... On. So, um, <laughs> and it's so easy. It's so much easier to hide. I mean, it gets more and more slippery and fine behind spirituality. It does. You know, you could just become such an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but I love what you're saying about, you know, the self-compassion along with the self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I think that that's really important as we start to go, oh God, there's these really creepy sides of myself that are selfish <laughs> and narcissistic and, right. you know, whatever that it's like, it's a double jeopardy for the ego to sort of you know, be operating in your life and controlling you to a certain degree, then your higher self has this awareness, then the ego sort of gloms onto that awareness. It's like, see, I knew you were a loser. <laughs> you know, it's, it is a double jeopardy of like totally. beating yourself up. So I love what you said about, you know, learning from your mistakes and being patient. It's like when you, I, I always use the example of when a baby learns how to walk, you know, they don't learn how to walk by walking they learn how to walk by falling. And that's something that I always have to remind myself because um, I think that Many of us into the spirituality and personal development hold, hold ourselves at, at a really high standard, you know, yeah. and there's a perfectionism in spiritual growth too that I've struggled a lot with. I mean, my teachers are always like, dude, like give yourself a break. Jesus Christ, like you've grown so much. You're doing so great. Like you're such a dick to yourself. <laughs> totally. You know? It's like, okay, all right, all right. I have to remember that. I mean, I've grown even in the past couple of years, the leaps and bounds. I mean, I'm right. a completely different person than I was two years ago. I mean, literally. Right. Like so many areas of my life have just been turned upside down in the most positive sense, but I still make one little mistake and I'm like, oh, there we go again. I'm still stuck in this pattern. Like, <laughs> <I know>. ah. <laughs> Um, so how, how many ceremonies now have you done? Ooh, a lot. I probably a lot more than, you know, I would say most people would need to. I don't even know the number anymore, but, um, because... If you don't know the number, that's a lot. (laughs) Cause I'd be counting like, okay, I'm up to seven. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and the thing is, is it's not about how many ceremonies you've done. And I've, I've done a lot because... You know, for us to be able to create this program and really understand the medicine in a deep way, I've kind of had to go more of a, a shamanic path with the medicine to really understand it and to be able to like facilitate people through the process. You know, but I think, you know, for more most people, it's it's just a matter of, you know, everybody has a different, you know, calling to the medicine. Like it might be one time for one person and it might be 50 times for another person. It just depends. And um you know, so I just, the way that I work with it is I wait until I'm called to it, you know, and you know, when you're being called to it, it's like, I'll work through whatever I got from the last ceremony. And then when I feel like it's time to go back, then I will. And what are some of the other realizations that you've had in terms of negative life patterns, ways in which you were stuck, such as, you know, that childhood trauma that manifested in you having a broken man picker? Yeah. Yeah. Other patterns. Oh man. I mean, there were so many patterns. I'm I'm still, I'm like still in the process. I'm still, I'm still a hot mess just working through it. But, uh, you know, it was just, I think one of the big patterns was just like not loving myself and like looking down on myself and not being enough and not being worthy. And, you know, part of our program at Rhythmia is, um, you know, we take, a picture of our ch- the child, um, 
you know, my name is Bean. That's my nickname. And so, you know, I have a picture of Bean on my phone and I check in with her. But one of the like, one of the most profound ceremonies was when it said, you know, because I always felt like, oh, I love God. I'm, I'm, I'm meditating. I'm doing all this spiritual work. Well, it was like the, to the degree that you love yourself is the degree that you love God. That's what the medicine told me. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then it like started showing Bean and her story and like how fucking hard I am on Bean. And it was just like, you're the mother to Bean now. Like, do you think that you're treating Bean well? And look at, look at how you're, you're, it was like almost abusive, <laughs> you know, the relationship between me and Bean. Wow. So, you know, because it was just like constantly, like you said, you did all this work and you're so hard on yourself if you make a mistake or you'd be like, wait, I learned this. I did this program. How did I just do this again? You know, and it's just this, this beating up on Bean. And so for me, one of the biggest pieces was reparenting Bean, like getting to know her, checking in with her, like on a daily basis and hearing what she needs and, you know, learning how to play again. Because even like in this, in the spiritual world, doing the work, shit, your whole life could turn into work. It's like, then where, where is that child getting to have fun? You know? So it's also like finding the balance of playing and having fun, you know, while doing the spiritual work and not making it so heavy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's profound. Wow. That really hit me. That really hit me. I, I get that one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I have to yeah. constantly check myself yeah. because it's so easy to keep slipping into it. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, I guess, you know, the the neuroplasticity issue, you know, when you're a kid, these these grooves get cut into your psyche through these experiences. And I guess in, in some ways, it really is a lifetime of undoing that, you know? Oh, it's a lot of work. <laughs> Especially if, I think if you were... Um, abused by adults around you that you were supposed to trust, then it's almost as if some of us, and I think this has been my experience to a degree, um, take on the role of those adults and, mm. and oh, now I'm going to take over the beating myself up because you know my parents right. or whoever was around that was doing it when I was a kid either stopped doing it or they're not around. You know, right. So it's like, well, somebody's got to kick my ass. <laughs> right. Oh God, it's horrible. Have you, other than ayahuasca, have you used any other plant medicines and what's been your experience with those? Yeah. Well, actually the first plant medicine that I worked with was Kana and um, this is a heart medicine and it's a profound, profound medicine. It's uh, from South Africa and I, I had visions and um, it was... Really, that was the the ceremony that I, I explained. That was actually a Kana ceremony. Oh, then, okay. Then I got into Iboga. So when we first opened Rhythmia, it was an Iboga center. And I, I think it's great that I found Iboga first because if I would have done ayahuasca or the other things and then was introduced to Iboga, I probably wouldn't have gone down the path that I did. But we were working with Iboga pretty regularly with a 10th generation Bwiti shaman um, from Gabon, Africa. And uh, that was pretty hardcore, but I, I could see why I needed to work with that medicine, you know, because I had so much going on <laughs> and, uh, and it's really amazing. Like it's, uh, you know, you go into like this, it's almost like a video game and, you know, ayahuasca is, is like the feminine and, and you have these visions, but it's very like chaotic and feminine. The, the iboga is masculine and it's very like direct. And it's just like, you, you want to see your father, boom, your father appears and you're talking to him. Or it's like, it takes you on these very like linear and gives you very 
clear direction. So we would go into the medicine, Gerard and I, when we were when we were creating all of this, and we'd have like questions and we would get answers. And so like actually Rhythmia was uh, directed by this medicine. It gave us wow. like, like it would tell us everything, like what center to get and, you know, what people to work with and everything. Every major decision, we took it to the medicine. Wow. And isn't Iboga the one that they use often to get people off of uh, drugs, opiates and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, isn't the one that's mostly used in like, you know, alternative rehab centers outside of the U.S. and whatnot? Yeah. It's an amazing, powerful plant. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, I don't know how long it is that you're out for, but like, you can't even walk on it. You know, wow. and it goes all into the next day, like until noon. So, <laughs> oh my God. And you've done that a number of times too, huh? Yeah. Damn, you're hardcore. <laughs> that one kind of scares me. Anyone that's come back from Iboga is like, yeah, it's no joke. Like, yeah. yeah. I never heard that you can't walk. To me, that's my idea of a good time. That's what I was always going for back in the day. <laughs> if I can talk and walk, I'm way too sober. Interesting. And then now though, with Rhythmia, you guys have evolved where you're just using ayahuasca and there's, is there one other medicine that is used during the week? No, just ayahuasca. Okay. Okay. And what, what um, was the reason that you guys just settled on that particular uh, formula? Yeah, actually the medicine guided us to use ayahuasca. And um, because that medicine had more um, history and also was indigenous to Costa Rica. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Is yeah. it Boga from Africa? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And then how did you procure your shamans and make sure that they were on the up and up and qualified and understood these uh, these plants and how to use them? Yeah. I mean, that was a process, <laughs> getting the right people. You know, you have to go through sometimes the wrong people. And it was a learning process just to, you know, really understand the shamans and, you know, that they've had the right training, the right calling, you know, um, the right intentions. We were introduced to Taito Juanito, who is actually from the Colombian tradition. And his grandfather is 110 years old. He's the oldest living shaman in the world that we know of. Whoa. You know, so he's come and he trains our facilitators. Um, but we have all different facilitators from from all over the world, from different, you know, trained from different lineages. So we actually have, uh, in Rhythmia, we, we actually, each night there's a different lineage, but they've all been trained under under the title. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I will be experiencing different shaman mm-hmm. then on the different... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a night, that, like a Shipibo night. And then we have like... Um, the night with like the Rhythmia medicine. And then we have a night like with uh, all women facilitators. And then our last night is with, uh, it's like the Colombian style um, shaman. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. And then the actual medicine that you guys uh, serve up there is sourced locally? Um, yeah, it, de- it depends. We actually, uh, we actually brew some of it ourselves and then... Some of it's sourced locally. And wow. then one is from Colombia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just uh I guess I'm getting excited, you know, on the <laughs> on the on the eve of this uh this trip. It's just in a couple of days. I'm like, holy shit. It's such a huge step for me, you know. So now even this morning before you came, I was I went on the um the podcast app and I was like, I searched ayahuasca and started listening to all these podcasts. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I gotta know what the hell's going on here. Not in a sense of control, but just like curiosity. Now I'm like, oh, this is happening. Wow. What an interesting experience. And so have you had 
uh, at Rhythmia, there's four ceremonies in a, in a week uh-huh, long four retreat? ceremonies. Okay. And then the last two, we do um, transformational breath work. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. At the same time as the ayahuasca? After the, the four ceremonies. And not okay. everybody goes to every ceremony. Yeah, depends yeah. on what you're called to. Sure. Um, but then, you know, the last two days are the transformational breathwork, which is really amazing. It's um, it's using, I think you've done, have you done transformational breathwork? I've done a, breath? lot, a lot of breathwork stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's like yeah. you're accessing altered states of consciousness and breath is basically the medicine. And a lot of people, right. like in our program, we have a... We have a whole process of, you know, where we say, show me who I've become. So this is like the process of, you know, seeing from the point when you disconnected from your soul, from yourself and started taking on these false beliefs or the traumas and things that separated you from your soul to see how you compensated and made up for that, you know. And then we have a process of um, asking to merge my soul and heal my heart. So a lot of, sometimes the people actually get the final like soul merge um, during the breath work. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so cool. I was really excited to hear that you guys integrated those two because I've had, I mean, in Kundalini Yoga specifically, in, um, in different Kriyas that involve really deep and especially the ones that are really long, like the 11 minute, you know, different breaths and stuff like that. I mean, dude, I've broken down crying, right. laughing. Um, I mean, I've had huge breakthroughs. Oh my God. And I've gone into like crazy positions where I'm like locked. Yeah. I'm like, oh. You do the T-Rex <laughs> hands and everything. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And there's a place in New York called the Womb Center. I interviewed their uh, founder, Alien, W-O-O-M. I recommend anyone that wants to experiment, experience um, us. It's a sound experience with breath work. Mm-hmm. And um and even um, vocal toning. So they kind of incorporate a lot. It's amazing. But I've been in there and just like, oh my God, I feel like I'm on drugs. Like in a in the best sense, you know, I'm like the good part of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no hangover, no side effects and no handcuffs. Yay. Uh, but yeah, the, the breath, it's amazing what can happen with that, you know, mm-hmm. then that surrender experience. And it's so trippy too when, when you start up a breath work session. For me, it's like working out. I'm like, ah, because I do it every morning, actually sitting right there when I do my sun gazing. And the first round, I'm always like, oh God, this sucks. And then by the <laughs> end, I feel like, man, I could go on for hours. Right. You know, it really is kind of a muscle that you build. Right. And so you're so you're married to um, to, to Jerry. Mm-hmm. Can I, do we refer to him as Jerry? Yeah, I call him Gerard. Okay. Gerard. Okay, <laughs> Gerard Powell, uh, known to some as Jerry. Um, who I'm going to interview, obviously, um, next week in Costa Rica. I'm really excited about that. Have you guys done, I'm assuming, ceremonies together? Oh, yeah. Like, were you? have you done it where you're kind of working on your union? Oh, yeah. Using the medicine? It's, it's actually amazing for relationships. Actually, the way we even ended up in a relationship was because the medicine told us to. Whoa. Yeah. Like, actually, when I first met him... Uh, and I walked into his house. I remember saying to my friend, I, I mean, I thought he was amazing and I loved him and everything, but I was like, ooh, any woman that dates this guy is crazy. And then like a year later, I'm like, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but it was like, but right. it was like we both met at this time when we were both crazy. Like right. he had a crazy girlfriend, I had a crazy boyfriend, and but we were just getting into this work like of healing ourselves. And then after working on ourselves in, for a year and working together, it was just like we were at this whole new vibration. We had, you know, we actually matched and then we did a ceremony together and the medicine actually told us, you guys came in to create Rhythmia together and wow. that you're you're supposed to be together. But it said you can't be together for six months. Really? Yeah. 
Whoa. (laughs) And you both got the same intuitive sense of that? Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. Uh, Is it common for couples to attend Rhythmia together to share that experience? Or do you advise that people do it on their own? It's common for couples. I guess it just depends on your intention. I mean, I think it's really great to start on your own, you know, to work on yourself first and then to bring your your partner in. But I think, you know, couples come as well and it's great. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Interesting. Yeah. Duly noted. <laughs> um, uh, what happens if, if someone has... Um, you know, the equivalent of a bad trip. I mean, you know, that's the thing about psychedelics that's always been a little unnerving to me is that you can't, there's no antidote. Like when I used to do hard drugs, for example, I mean, that's funny. Sometimes I hesitate talking about this on the show, but I think I've already said it. So whatever. (laughs) now the stories keep getting more graphic, but you know, when, when I was doing my thing in Hollywood, uh, you know, I love to smoke crack. And nice. uh, well, actually, I didn't love. This. I actually hated smoking crack, but I just did it because it was better than being sober. Right. But if you smoke crack and you get like too high, you can do heroin and totally nullify the crack, mm. and vice versa. If you do too much heroin and you're like about to OD, you can smoke crack and it'll wake you up, and now you're not high on heroin anymore. Wow. So I was for years just spent hours and hours a day balancing those two and trying to find this this unattainable sweet spot. But with psychedelics, there's nothing you can take. There's no antidote. Like you're in hour two and you have 12 hours to go or whatever the case may be. You can't just be like, uh, yeah, excuse me, shaman, I'm out. Uh, can you give me the, you know, the charcoal or now I want us to make this stop. Um, so, so A, how long does a, a, you know, like a good strong ayahuasca dose last typically? And is there any way to make it stop? And what happens if someone starts freaking out in the middle of it? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is where the shaman <laughs> comes in, and this is why you want to have a, a great shaman to help move the energy, to help you relax. Because a lot of times, like you know, your reaction is you resisting, fighting, and trying to control. And um, I always say, relax. Nothing is under control. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because this is like this is the thing. Like no human, no no human being wants to lose control, <laughs> right? Right. And this is what we're stepping into. Like whenever I step into a ceremony, I'm looking at everybody. I'm like, wow, wow, you're amazing. You know, you're brave. It takes a rare person to be able to give that up. But I always say, you know, whatever could possibly happen in one night to me, it's worth it for a potential lifetime of freedom. Right. 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 And and when you have a good facilitator and you start having a hard, difficult time, they could come over and help guide you. They can help move energy. They can help move entities. This is why it's crucial that you have somebody that understands what they're doing. You know, because there's energies and and entities and and really understanding how to to move those those things through. Right. And how long uh, does the experience typically last? Like with a good standard dose. Um. I would say like one one glass, I would say one shot would maybe be like three to four hours and then you take like another one. And it just depends. Everybody has a different level of sensitivity. So everyone sure. has a different, you know, need for, for taking the medicine. Sure. And there's yeah. a recommended dieta or diet that you follow for a week, which I've been following pretty damn well. This morning, <laughs> this morning, I have to admit, I made some decaf coffee. I was like, I just need coffee. But I've been doing pretty good this week. Um, why is the, the 
the the diet recommended, you know, no coffee, no sugar, no red meat, et cetera, uh, prior to engaging in one of these experiences? Yeah, it's just that it's easier for the medicine to work through you without all of the different foods and things that it has to cut through to get to doing the work. Um, you know, but it's it's so debatable because depending on like I heard that the UDV has like a meal before they go in to do ayahuasca. So everybody has a different tradition. I think that the medicine will work no matter what, you know, whatever you do um, or don't do. It just, it, to me, it just makes sense that, you know, the more, you know, the less that's in your stomach, the less energy that it has to process through, the easier that it is to navigate you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Like if your physical vessel is relatively clean and pure because you're going in to work on your psychological and spiritual vessel, right? Right. You don't want anything interfering with that. That that made sense to me. That makes though, sense, yeah. I mean, I ate a lot of meat, so I was like, hmm, what am I going to eat? I'm going to get creative. How do I get protein this week? You know, so I've been eating like um, like um, sea bass and you know some white, very light fish and stuff like that. So I've been feeling pretty good about it. But yeah, I definitely didn't want to walk in there with like a gut full of grass fed burger. <laughs> right. Uh, how did uh, you get these powerhouses like Michael Beth? Beckwith and Gabor Mate on on your um, on your board or advisory. To me, that was really impressive. After doing a bit of research of different, I don't even know if they're centers, but just you know places in Peru where you can go do plant medicines and stuff. And I'm always like, yeah, I don't know if these guys are legit. But when I saw the these guys were um, associated with Rhythmia, it was like an instant verification of validity for me because yeah. I respect them uh, so much. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, Graham Hancock is on our board. Oh, wow. But yeah, it was, we we started bringing different guest speakers. Actually, that's that's been my role in the company is bringing in the influencers and media and guest speakers and and celebrities and people to, you know, to help have these experiences and get the, the word out. You know, it's all been very grassroots, um, just actually, I think 40% of the people that come to Rhythmia either come back or bring another per- or, or refer other people to come. So um, yeah, it's it's just been growing it for five years and, and networking, same way that you're getting <laughs> people right. on, these people on your podcast, right. but having them come and have the experience and then sharing it with their friends and that's what oh, it's that's been. cool. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've always wanted to interview uh, Gabor Mate because he's he's got a very u- unique take on addiction. He yeah. works with a lot of addicts and things like that, and he's the first person I heard that talked about um, you know that all addicts uh, and alcoholics have experienced trauma, and I kind of knew that. Oh, sure, we were all molested, beaten, robbed, whatever. But he recontextualizes trauma as which Mastin Kip did yesterday when I interviewed him, and in a similar way, is just that we've almost all humans have experienced trauma. Sometimes yeah. the trauma is less um, sort of acute, mm-hmm. but it's still experienced in the same way. And so his his work in addiction to me has just been really fascinating and profound and um, kind of led me also to be of the mind that, wow, maybe there really is some application here in addiction recovery versus the other kind of way of thinking about plant medicines is like, oh God, I can't do drugs because it's going to make me go back and do drugs and trigger me to drink a beer or something like that. Right. It's actually the opposite because it's getting to the core root trauma and the problem, the reason why you're doing those things in the first place. You know, like for Gerard, he had one of the worst addictions of anyone I'd ever seen. And to see him be able to have a glass of wine 
<laughs> That's so weird. Is amazing. There's like no way that I, he could have, the old to, Gerard could have ever done that, you know? Right. <laughs> I can't wait to ask him about that. Yeah. Yeah. His story is crazy. I mean, I thought I was pretty hardcore, but that dude like was partying. Yeah. I think Gerard, like he had the money to do it right. You know, yeah, when, I was, when I was using it, it was like, okay, I, I got $20 today. How much damage can I do? You yeah. Know? He could go all in. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be a fun one. Um, and I find it interesting too, that Rhythmia is, as far as I understand, the only medically licensed uh, facility using plant medicines in the world is that do I have that factoid right? As far as I know, wow. uh, we hope that more people, you know, copy the model, and sure. uh, that's really been our intention is to you know hope we hopefully inspire. We want hundreds of these all over the world, and for different intentions, you know, for cancer, for addiction, like we need them. Right, and yeah. do not people. Um, partake in these ceremonies to overcome addictions too. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost like a alternative rehab. Absolutely. In a sense, and right? it's, it's works because, you know, Gerard was in um, a rehab and one of the most expensive rehabs in the world. And I think like they're, I, I believe it was like 9% of the people that came out of there were ever healed from it and not even really healed because if you're on medications and if you're if you have to like white knuckle it the rest of your life and you know resist something i mean that's a hard that's a hard way to live but the plant medicine actually gives you the opportunity to really heal it to where you can actually enjoy yourself if you want to have a glass of wine you can you don't have to hide from something anymore because you heal it at the root it's not like a band-aid wow. was put over it that's astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> For me it's just like the idea of being able to have a glass of wine not that i I think the thing for me, like when I think about that, I'm like, He's yeah, like, but I don't want a glass of wine. I want four bottles of wine. Like what's the point of one glass? You know, but um, it's hard to imagine like that physiologically being possible because yeah. in the past, like anytime I touched the flame, I'm just instantly ablaze, you know? Right. There's just this, it's not even a mental thing. It's like a physical sort of allerg allergic type reaction mm -hmm. where it's like, hmm, that tastes good. I'll take 20 more of those. Ah, you know, <laughs> they just go crazy <laughs> totally. and end up in sordid places with really gnarly dark people. And you're going like, <laughs> how did, where am I? In right. South LA in a crack house? What happened? I just wanted a beer at the bar, you know? Right. One Guinness leads to, you know hanging out with all kinds of strange characters and uh, being in really dangerous situations. So that's an interesting phenomenon. I don't know that I will test that out. But, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not promoting yeah, yeah. that. But, but I, I was using it as an example for Gerard. But, sure. you know, like the, the thing is, is that the frequency of the medicine is so high that you actually don't want something that is lower. Like alcohol, the frequency of alcohol is actually lower. Right. And so, you know, like when we would go back and drink or have too many drinks, it was like, Ugh. in fact, it wouldn't even give me the same like feeling anymore because at first, like before the medicine that the alcohol would make me feel high. Now it's like, Ugh. oh, it that's me down. so interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's one thing to just have like a little bit, but like if you're actually like start getting tipsy and all this, it's it actually the vibrations lower. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I get that. I'm familiar with that vibration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. So, um, Brandy, what's what's next for you? You're jet setting around, you know, uh, building awareness about this. What what's going on with you and your professional life? You know, I know you're traveling a lot. What what's yeah. happening with you? I didn't really have a chance to catch up. Yeah. Well, I was sent on a mission by the medicine next to 
bring, you know, the entertainment industry, media to the medicine to get the word out there, to do this, to speak about it. So I've just been, you know, before I was really building the company, working more behind the scenes. And now I'm kind of just getting out there and talking about it more. Cool. Awesome. I'm excited. Well, thank you so much for joining me and uh, great to see you You again. And, you know, I look forward to reporting back on my experiences. (laughs) You're not going to be there next week when I'm there, right? No, I won't be there. Yeah. So So you got to tell me when you get back. We'll uh, we'll touch base. And obviously, you know, this podcast will be, you know, sort of a series of um, interviews and experiences and stuff like that. So you'll know. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to kind of check in with you after and be like, oh my God, guess what happened? <laughs> yeah. Guess what other gross pattern I discovered in myself that I'm now undoing? <laughs> I can levitate. Yeah, totally. Totally. I hope so. Well, thanks so much for coming by and I look forward to seeing you again soon. You too, Luke. All right. <laughs> That concludes interview number one of four in the Welcome to the Jungle series. Thank you so much for joining me, and I highly encourage you to stay tuned because what happens from this point moving forward is the journey itself. I'll be doing play-by-play narration and field reports the whole way through, including the one you're about to hear in my car on the way to the airport. This is Transmission One, folks. I am on my way to Los Angeles International Airport, headed to Liberia, Costa Rica, where I will be taxied off to Rhythmia and spend a week doing plant medicine ceremonies, frolicking on the beach, taking mud baths, colonics, massages, and living the proverbial dream. Really looking forward to it. Uh, As usually, or sometimes typically, I guess happens, I didn't sleep that well last night prior to flying. So I got up and did a full morning of biohacking, started with sun gazing and breath work, moved on to an ice cold shower, and then on to the amp coil, sitting on the biomat for my meditation with my circadia uh, device on my head for insomnia, depression, anxiety, things like that. And then was also using my vital reaction hydrogen inhaler, which is great for oxidative stress and uh, the inflammation that comes with travel, especially flying. And then also use the NanoV, which produces something called exclusion zone water in a fine mist that has a similar net effect as the hydrogen reduces inflammation and fights free radicals. So I did my biohacking, did my spiritual work this morning, hopped in the car, cranked up the Rolling Stones, can't you hear me knocking? And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting on this flight and giving you the second transmission. So make sure to stay tuned for that. And I will keep you posted along the way. Second transmission here. I am currently about 35,000 feet above Baja, Mexico, looking at the Sea of Cortez. And man, it is beautiful. Uh, LAX was interesting. I uh, managed to get there a little bit early, which is very uncharacteristic. I'm typically late for flights and stress myself out. Today, I whizzed through TSA, thought that I had it made. However, my Faraday cage EMF-proof pants uh, set off the x-ray. Now, normally when I go through uh, security, I set off everything because uh, of all the weird stuff in my bags. Uh, however, I've never uh, 
thought about the fact that there are actually metal wires in my pants that make them <laughs> Faraday pants. So I got patted down, which was um, kind of borderline uh, light massage and molestation combined. Uh, interesting experience I tried to make the best of. Um, homeboy got quite personal. Pretty weird, but still, I'm not walking through the millimeter wave detector because that is the same thing as walking through a 5G transmitter. I'm not having it. I'm having a great time on the plane, though. Just met a gentleman from, uh, well, an expat from the States that lives in Costa Rica named David. We had a chat about all things chemtrails and other actual conspiracies, and uh, it's been really fun. So I just wanted to check in and um, express my gratitude for the opportunity to share this experience with the listeners of the show and um, to the people of Rhythmia that invited me down here. I'm just super stoked and looking forward to landing and getting my body in the ocean as soon as possible. So until we meet again, my friends, I'm checking out mid-flight on my way to Costa Rica. So here we go. We're preparing for takeoff, you guys. <laughs> I'm sitting here doing a little last-minute sun gaze, uh, listening to the wind and these magical trees listening to the birds sing, and I, my friends, am about to head in in about 10 minutes to partake in my first ayahuasca ceremony. And I'm excited, uh, a little bit nervous. You know, I spent the day really preparing myself in the sense that I did a colonic, which is a great thing they offer here to get really clean inside. They use a, a kalima board, which is my favorite method, very gentle, Stoked to find that. Got a deep tissue massage. Um, started the day with a yoga class, some sun gazing. Uh, what else did I do? Ate really clean, organic food a few hours ago. And um, just did a lot of meditation and prayer and a lot of sitting out in the sun. Gave myself a mud bath and basked in this great tropical sun. And um, you know, reflected a little bit on the fact that I haven't ingested anything in almost 22 years. In fact... In about two weeks, it will be 22 years exactly since I so much as had a sip of beer, hit off a joint or anything. Um, not that that's what I'm doing, but I've not felt um, <laughs> intoxicated in a really, really long time. Uh, it's all about intention and context. You know, obviously, I didn't come all this way to not be a sober person anymore. I came this way um, to really discover more of myself and more of God uh, than I did to escape, which is what I used to do. And I was given a prayer by Jerry, who I'll soon interview, the founder of this place. And I thought that it might be apropos to read it right now because I have not read it. And uh, it's the prayer that's going to take me into the ceremony this evening. And it starts with a dear blank. And I'm just going to say, dear God. Some people say, dear Mother Ayahuasca. I don't know that I have that intimate a relationship with this feminine energy plant yet. Uh, so it goes like this, dear God, if there is any part of me, my conscious, subconscious, or ego that possesses any trickery that would want anything to the contrary of my requested intention, I ask you to honor my words to you over any other request or contra energy right now and to disregard any energy other than these words that I speak. My intention is, and there's a blank, my intention is to merge with my higher self, my soul, my intention is to heal my heart so that I can bring my best, most true, authentic, loving self 
into the world uh, in general. <laughs> so that's my prayer in starting this experience as I sit and watch the sun go down with about five minutes left to go. So I'm going to sign off now and uh, I'm looking forward to a beautiful, enlightening experience. And I will, of course, report back later. Moving into the day two report, I'm sitting here staring out at the beach on the lovely coastline, Costa Rica, the rich coast. And uh, I had hoped that last night after my first ceremony that I would be able to come back to my room and possibly give an account of what I had experienced. And I quickly realized upon exiting the ceremony area that that was not going to happen at all. I did manage to get myself in the pool and then take a cold shower, uh, which was advised by the very shaman in the room. And I hesitate to even report on the first experience because, A, it is actually completely indescribable uh, due to the fact that language is far too limited to begin to transcribe to you what happened. Uh, and also, I didn't want to cheapen the experience by making it trivial and doing a podcast on it. So having woken up today and uh, made my way to the beach and had a little time to contemplate the experience, I thought I might share a little bit of what it was like briefly. And uh, hopefully at some point I'll have a chance to illustrate it at greater depth. But the first thing I want to note is that... Uh, <laughs> Of the many takeaways that came to me, and actually there weren't that many, it was more of a, an experience really than thoughts or words coming to me, although I did have a few. And one of the sensations that I had um, after I took the second serving, there was two servings of medicine. The first one, I would say, just put me in kind of a relaxed state and I meditated and visualized a little bit, but just felt sort of happy and relaxed and half asleep, uh, much like a very deep meditation. And then about 15 minutes after the second serving, second cup. Uh, by the way, the medicine to me tasted great. I wanted to chug it all. Uh, tasted sort of like a combination of prune juice and um, what was the other flavor? I can't recall the other one, but it, it's, it wasn't an unpleasant taste to me, at least this batch of medicine. But about 15 minutes after that, I really just sat up and sort of meditating, just being very present and just getting in a state of surrender. And then it started to overtake me. And as I began to become enthralled and engulfed in the experience, the sensation that I had, which then turned into a thought form, was that I have never felt this sober in my entire life, which is a strange realization to have in the midst of completely hallucinating your balls off. Uh, eyes closed. I kept my eyes closed for most of the experience, but um, I think what that was, really, if I can contextualize it was that my soul, my higher self, my true essence began to uh, become fully operational and my thought self, my ego self, my emotional personality self, uh, which is not a bad thing, but just necessary for survival, uh, that began to fade away and so did all thoughts for the most part. There were moments of realization where my voice told me something or a voice, the medicine, God, whatever it was, but most of the time, I just had this 
extremely euphoric experience where I was completely still in space and experiencing the most pure consciousness I've ever experienced. And that, I think, is why the experience for me felt like the utmost sobriety. Um, even though if you were to watch me, <laughs> you know, not on the medicine, looking down at me on my little mattress, I probably looked a little bit out there. And I was constantly just laughing and giggling. Uh, one of the funniest things that I kept experiencing, and this went on for quite a while, was every time I thought about the idea of explaining the experience, specifically the things that I was visualizing with my eyes closed, uh, every time I thought of recounting that to a podcast or a friend or anyone, it would just it became so hysterical because, as I said earlier, the experience was so beyond words. There was just no way that that was ever going to happen. And, you know, here it is the next day and I could go into a little bit of it, but much of it is just not explainable, especially the aspects that were visual. So never feeling so sober my entire life. And then as I saw reality, as I know it in the world of form and material dissolve within my consciousness... And as I melted into that and just kept surrendering and surrendering into that, the next realization I had is that reality is a moving target and that what we perceive to be real in the world of form and even in the world of non-form is in fact in constant flux and constant evolution and change. Sort of like when you try to grasp the present moment or the now and the now is now the next now. There actually is no now because you can't grab it. You can't stop it. And reality is that way too. And that was a huge realization that I'm still, I think, trying to unpack and let unfold and perhaps will be revealed in the next three nights of ceremony. But overall, the experience was just beautiful and heartfelt. And I laughed and I cried and I did not throw up. I I think I burped one and a half times. I felt a little nauseous at points. Um, But the soundscape as well, not only the visual experience, but the soundscape, it was like universal uh, universal consciousness in that I felt like I could hear everything around me, including the wind blowing outside and the other people throwing up and some people screaming and crying and some laughing and the music and the chanting and the shaking of rattles and all of the the whole auditory experience and it was all the same volume and it was non-local meaning all of the sound was just universally present within the space which was really fascinating and um, I think was due to the fact that I was not experiencing it so much through my senses but through my consciousness out of my body and then I had the sensation that I was being visited and it was very sort of E.T., my experience, it was very science fiction visually, uh, very mechanical in a sense, but it was alien, extraterrestrial, strange, but somehow extremely familiar and warm and loving. And what the experience was like overall is that as I surrendered and communicated to the medicine that I was in fact surrendering and I kept repeating, I surrender, I surrender and I trust you, I trust you. Uh, it started to overtake me and sort of play with me and scan my being and scan my brain. And there were points at which I felt as though my brain and my whole physiology was actually being repaired and worked on by this energy in an almost, as I said, a mechanical way. It's like there was this sort of uh, machinery 
in a sense, this light machinery, this light and energy machinery that was scanning me and correcting errors and cleansing my soul and opening my heart and healing my heart. And uh, it was just an absolutely profound experience. And as I said, <laughs> it's, it's really difficult to put into words. And I, I wanted to make this transmission a two-minute one. And I'm looking at my recorder here as I sit on the beach and it's almost eight minutes. But it's just like, how do you pack a five or six-hour experience into eight minutes when you experience that much weightlessness and that much true reality, you know, the core of reality, the formless consciousness that we all are. And so I'm, you know, a little bit apprehensive, but I would say more than anything excited about the next three nights of medicine, because I get the sense kind of like, oh, I, I just got a sweet introduction, you know, because it was, I wouldn't say it was gentle. I mean, my world was fucking rocked, trust me, but I wasn't, you know, seeing all this darkness and sludge come up um, from within me. And I don't know, maybe that's because I've been (laughs) excavating that for so long. Uh, Who knows? More will be revealed. But uh, my motto is, as my motto has been for the past 22 plus years, is just surrender and let go. And the realization I had last night is that no matter how hard I try to control anything in my life, uh, all control is just an illusion And so there's really no point in trying to be in control and that the name of the game is absolutely surrender. And so as I enter into this experience this evening, which will take place in about three hours, uh, I'm just going to keep allowing whatever needs to happen, happen and just trust the process and trust this medicine to do what it's meant to do. And uh, I found in my experience yesterday that the more I was able to relinquish all thought, uh, all, all intention really, and just allow the medicine to wash over me and work with me that uh, the better result I got. So that's the report, folks, for day two. Um, hopefully this recording comes out okay. I'm sort of shielding myself from the wind here as I sit underneath the palm tree with an iguana, uh, <laughs> a little baby iguana. Um, you know, I, it's a little windy and I can't listen back to this. So I just thought, oh man, I hope this comes out okay. It's not my normal recording method. But I'm a field reporter on this journey of consciousness, and I will close by repeating my current mantra as of today, that reality is a moving target. At this point, we're going to jump into a conversation with Jerry Powell, who is the founder of Rhythmia. He's also a consciousness thought leader, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and inspirational speaker. He also founded Truthonomics, an online program teaching the skills and insights essential to a life of manifestation. And if anyone knows how to manifest, it's Jerry Powell, let me tell you. This was a real raw, down and dirty conversation. Lots of laughs were had. Keep in mind, that this went on the day after my first ceremony. So I was just completely opened up, completely on fire. And Jerry and I had a really in-depth conversation about our checkered paths and what led us to our various roads to redemption, frankly. And uh, plant medicines were obviously a huge part of his. And so this is a really fun conversation, but also very informative and gives you the complete and just absolutely fantastic story of his transformation, which is just insane. Here's some of the things we talk about. Why plant medicines are so effective as a form of rehab for addicts. How Jerry became a self-described world-class asshole before finally, and I mean finally, hitting rock bottom. 
and how the plant medicines helped change him and the way he experiences life. The tough love Iboga shaman who changed Jerry's life. Jerry's conversations with the moon and how he was guided to open Rhythmia in the first place. Yes, he was talking to the moon and we hear a lot about that. The spiritual mentors and thought leaders that are drawn to and endorse Rhythmia. Why they only use ayahuasca at Rhythmia rather than the other plant medicines. The important lessons Jerry learned from the medicine and how he's integrated that knowledge back into his life. So as I said, this is a really fun chat and uh, came at a perfect time in my journey at Rhythmia and really was quite uplifting and just, you know, brought some levity to the whole situation because these experiences can be quite heavy as you'll find out as we move through the various uh, ceremonies that I participated in. So here we go, ladies and gents, on this really fun and informative conversation with Jerry Powell. Rolling, 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 rawhide. Here we are, Jerry. What's happening? <laughs> How we doing? Doing great, man. Good. So welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thank I, you for that. Dude, yeah. I almost don't even know where to begin because I've not done it. I mean, I can't even call this an interview because it's been such an experience here at Rhythmia over the past couple of days. It's really weird to kind of be doing quote unquote work. I'm with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah and you, and you, you live and work here. I can yeah. imagine it's that yeah. way for you too. So normally, you know, I have notes and I have everything very planned out and it just, I was not in a planning kind of energy. I just thought no, it's not um, this energy. whole experience so far has been just about allowing and surrendering and trusting that the process and the energy field here at this place knows what's best. And so yeah. it's kind of neat and exciting for me to sit down <laughs> and have no plan. Well, that's great. Good. <clears throat> but I, I, do, I, I do have a rough plan. Um, having talked to you a few times uh, during the week so far and hearing your story on the first day, I, I have to share, you know, a truncated version, at least sure. in, in the interest of time of your story, because Absolutely. it's just so fantastic. And one of the things that I've found so compelling when I first heard your story and read your book was that you were an addict like me, yeah. just out of your fucking mind. Out of my mind. <laughs> and yeah. you did Iboga and were struck sober. To me, that is just the weirdest thing. So um, <laughs> I know there's some backstory there, yeah. but I just, I feel a kindred spirit yeah. with you because we have a similar background. I never became rich. I got broker and broker as my drug addiction took uh -huh. over, but um, you know, there is a, a lot of uh, similarities in the journey. So Take us back to being a kid in, yep, in Scranton, sure. Pennsylvania, and what happened to you and how you ended up in this glorious experience that we're Thank having now. Thank you so much, too, Luke. Thank you for that. Yeah, I was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania, in uh, an Irish-Italian Catholic family and uh, a violent family. We're a violent family. And, you know, we were, I think, nothing of hitting women or children. That was just how we were raised. It was just the way it was. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I became what I was exposed to. And, you know, by the time I was in kindergarten, I was a rough character myself. Uh, I got sent home my first day of kindergarten. I got kicked out of every school I was ever in. And finally, when there were no schools left, I, uh, I ended up in jail. And uh, through an act of God, I, I got acquitted of, of seven crimes. I was accused of of doing arrested for and uh and I, I promised myself that day that I'd, I'd do something with my life and this was when i was a kid and and lo and behold in my 20s i became a millionaire 
In my 30s, I took a company public and had about- What were you doing in your 20s? Because I, I remember this part of your story and I was like, how did that happen? What, yeah, what kind of business were you doing? I was a real estate developer. Oh, uh, okay. Uh-huh. Back east? Uh, back east. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and then after that, I, I, I uh, started a plastic surgery finance company and, and took that public. I had a $140 million net worth for a while. And then that that got hit in the dot com crash, and I went broke. I was thirty eight. I started another company at thirty nine that I sold at forty two for about ninety million in cash. And and that story sounds nice, like you know, Scranton <laughs> Boyd does okay. Uh, but during that time, I became a world class asshole, a real fucking jerk, really bad. Uh, and buy really bad. I was a, a, a wife beater. I was a alcoholic, drug drug addict, cocaine addict, d- addicted to injectable Demerol every day. Um, alcoholic. I wanted to ask you, I, I found the Demerol how thing. How did I get it? Yeah, well, uh-huh. here's how. I, it's strange because <laughs> I'm like, why, why? That seems so hard to get. Why not just do heroin? I, I owned 140 plastic surgery centers at the time. Ah, uh-huh. so I had a never-ending supply of the cleanest heroin in the world, right? Oh my uh, God! Yeah, I've not done Demerol, but I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm speaking past tense, of course. But I hear it's like the best high ever. It's fantastic if you like that type of high. Well, it was fantastic <laughs> until it wasn't. You know? Oh <laughs> well, yeah, that's how it goes, right? <laughs> you yeah. know? And yeah. uh, but I just became a terrible guy. And uh, is there is there a danger? I'm like hung up on the Demerol thing. Is there as much of a danger in overdosing on Demerol? Uh, I'm probably a, even more. Oh, really? Because uh, yeah. I, I always assumed you had the pharmaceutical grade of something that you could gauge a dose better. You, you know? can gauge it better, but you can, in that state, right. you, more is always better. And at some point, more is not, you know, in that, in, right. that, in that night or that event, you know. And I got to the point where I was, I was kind of immune to, I was doing five sticks a day. And, and, what and, are sticks? Uh, syringes. A day. Oh, okay, okay. Uh-huh. But but what was interesting there is they were worried. After I quit, uh, there's two doctors in Pennsylvania that were worried about something called a Demerol dump, that the stuff gets in your your tissues and it can release all at one time. And da 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 da. Never happened to me, but but it's it's in the field of what to worry about, you know. But it got so bad. My life got so bad that uh, and I really was a bad guy. I wasn't. I'm not making it into a bad guy thing. I was a bad guy. And uh, I was married and God, I, I I would sleep with three, four women a day, like whatever, whatever I needed to get through. I would be drunk, sleep with women, running a big business, uh, flying all over my plane, uh, you know, taking women one place and going to another place. And it was a crazy fucking chess game. Uh, to keep going, and, and I was and, and it was exhausting, and I, and I was making a lot of money. I was sleeping an hour or two a night, <clears throat> you know that in that world, like just crazy stuff, yeah. And uh, and you know that an hour or two, I mean, I could stay up all night and go to work, and then catch sleep two days later. I was crazy, uh, but but it got so terrible that my wife of seventeen years left me and she was a wonderful lady. She was a good lady. And uh she left me 
and she took my two kids and my kids meant everything to me. And uh, so through a, a couple course of events there, I decided to go to rehab. I went to rehab and uh, I went to, you know, very good rehab. <clears throat> and then after I got out of rehab, I was in counseling full time. I had, I had uh, one therapist for about six hours a day, every day during the week. And then on the two days off, I had a different therapist for three hours a day. And that went on for almost five years uh, of that much therapy. And it got to the end. And I, I said to my, my primary therapist, who's now my chief medical officer here, Jeff McNary. And Jeff's going to be later on in this podcast series. He's going to be one of my other interviews. That'd be super cool. He's a great dude. I said to him, I'm going to kill myself. And he said, he said, don't. He said, you know, do something else. And I took a vacation uh, to the Philippines that, that went really bad. And uh, <laughs> I like the part of the story. Tell us the part of the story at the airport. I, I got in a fight with my girlfriend <laughs> over uh, Nathan's hot dog and I ripped up her ticket and I hopped on the plane alone. No shit. And I went to the Philippines at a couple's resort. I felt terrible about myself. I was drunk and, and this other lady saw that I was there who was a shaman from Brooklyn. And she came, she was doing a no speak retreat in, in Cebu just by chance. And she stopped in on me uh, for a couple of days. And she said, Jerry, she said, I know a guy just like you. And he went to this place in Costa Rica and he took this medicine and she may or may not have known the name of the medicine. And it changed his life. He was there for a week. He came back and his life was changed. And, and I was so upset with my own life. I had already tried to kill myself two times. Uh-huh. So how, how? pills, mm. uh-huh. so like, you know, they're half-hearted pill attempts, right. but they were real attempts. They were not sure. fake attempts. Sure. It's just that I'm, um, I can consume a lot of stuff and make it through for some reason. Your tolerance, you know? your tolerance, tolerance saved your life. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Isn't it great that you can sit and, you know, laugh guys at like us can laugh at situations like it's that so that were once now. so tragic. Tragic. All this is tragic, yeah? Yeah. And, um, and so she, she told me about this place and, and I said, if I don't go there, I'm going to kill myself. As a matter of fact, the truth of it is, I said I'm going to kill myself, but I'm going to go there first. That's really the deal that I made myself. I say, I'm going to kill myself, but I'm going to go there first. And I almost went there to prove it, it couldn't work. And she showed me the place on a, on a laptop, you know, and I didn't even pay any attention to it. I was just, you know, I looked at the pictures, but I was just doing what she said because I was out of options, right? So uh, I flew from Manila all the way to to LA and I switched luggage and then I flew from LA to, to Liberia, Costa Rica. And this place was in a place called Buena Vista. And, and this guy picked me up and he was from another planet, dude. He was like, uh, he's a, a tall black African dude who was just full of personality and a strange dude. And he was, he was just everything he would do, everything he'd tell me to do, I would do. Like I was afraid of him, you know, I was afraid of him. And, uh, he, we went to this ceremony. So he was your, he's, you thought he was your driver. I thought he was my taxi driver. And he ended up being your shaman. My shaman. 
and he's and he's a guy that changed my life. I have, I, and he had the f- craziest voice. Are you still in contact with him? I still through Facebook. He's in Gabon. Oh, okay. He's okay. in Africa now. So I, I want to back up just a little uh-huh. bit. So you go to this fancy Malibu rehab, yeah. and then you're in all this therapy. I mean, did you ever try going to twelve step meetings and like? Yeah, I just um, as you, soon as I went there, I hated it. Oh, okay. I just had this thing. That I didn't, that's my dog. I had this thing. Oh, she's pissed now because she sees us in here. She's like, really guys? Do you want to let her in? No. Okay. No, she'll, she'll run she'll around with up. someone in a couple minutes. Okay. But I, I, I went to one of those 12 steps and I just didn't like the vibe. And I, I, I even thought about it. I thought I'd rather be drunk. I'd rather be in trouble than going here. Damn. Now for some people- That's a people, real aversion. Yeah, for some people, it really, really is amazing, right? Yeah. For a lot of people. But for me, it just wasn't going to work. So did you get any days of sobriety pieced together other than the 28 days or whatever, or however long in you were in I was passages for 60. 60 so I got Shit. I got two months of clean, but I was only in passages for Demerol. Uh, I wasn't okay. in my mind. I was in passages for- booze or women or cocaine. Oh, so you could get out and have a couple glass of wine, do a couple if bumps, I, no problem. <laughs> I, that's, what I, that's what I thought. I, I was like, oh, I'll knock these things out one at a time. Right. This, this, <laughs> this one is for Demerol. Right. We'll come back maybe next time for cocaine. Oh, you know? that's so funny. It dude. is so funny. And, All right. Uh, so you so you end up in Costa Rica with your uh, with your taxi driver who becomes your shaman. You know, so yeah. you thought becomes yeah. your shaman. You go to this ceremonial. Oh yeah, the ceremony. What was the, what was the facility or the location? It was a like? terrible, 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 dingy, terrible, dirty place. Uh huh. And I I I thought I had made the biggest mistake of my life. Uh, and that's the truth. I thought, fuck, I, I took my last shot at life at this fucking place. That's what was going, you know, you're an addict. Everything is fucking wrong. Everybody, everything is wrong, right? Oh, yeah. And so it wasn't, you know, it was everybody's fault and they fucked me and da da da. And there was some truth in that too. So it was like, there's a thread of truth. You know, it was a shithole. It was two grand a night and it was a shithole. And I was like, I was like, wow. <clears throat> That's yeah. not that's that's not cheap. Fourteen thousand for the week, and wow, uh, it was terrible. And it was like in some mechanic's garage. It or was just this terrible. <laughs> the, the temple was in a three car garage, and uh, they they took me into the garage. This is the truth. They took me into the garage, and and I swear to you, I thought that it was like Jim Jones. I thought I saw these people laying on little mattresses, throwing up with. Uh, uh, blindfolds on and moaning and and crying and throwing us thought what the fuck I thought I thought this is the final thing this is it I thought my wife my ex-wife might have set it up like Jim <laughs> Jones like I thought she was gonna make me whack myself you know right uh-huh and uh at this point did you have any money left yeah you I did? had a ton of money I oh, okay. probably probably 40 million bucks or something like, you know, so I, was, I had money, yeah. but, but here's the thing. Money made me just feel worse. Money didn't make me feel any better. Money gave me an endless supply of anything I wanted to kill myself with. It was just not right. It was wasn't there, right. Was there also, um, I, you know, I've heard that I've heard this from people who have amassed large sums of money and 
it was very painful to them because they had been indoctrinated into a belief system that that's the Holy Grail. And then you fucking get there and you're like, I have how much in the bank and I still want to kill myself. Did did that compound the the pain? Here's, Here's my favorite saying now. I think everybody should get rich so they know that's not where they should be looking. Everybody should get rich once. And you know what? Most people that are are sound of mind will say, I saw that and I'll need that Uh because it's not the answer. It's not even close to an answer. It's, It's an accelerant. It's sort of like gasoline on a fire, you know? It's an accelerant. So, uh, but yeah, so at this place, I'm like, I'm mad at myself because I picked, I should have picked somewhere nicer to go, da, 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 da. I thought it was all scam. This guy was super direct and condescending with me and he was doing it on purpose. Uh huh. I didn't know at the time why, but I get clearly get now why. But he was like, take this medicine and, and go fucking lay down. And when you see something, raise your hand. And I felt emasculated in front of other people and shit. And I had a, and my ego yeah, yeah. was the size of four Mack trucks. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was who I was, even though I was losing everything. I was a right. dick. I was a real dick as a dick. Uh, and that's an insult to dicks. That's like, <laughs> I was terrible, you know? And, uh, and I took it and I laid down and, and, and I saw something, but I was afraid to raise my hand because I didn't want to, I saw a pussycat. I don't want to say I saw a pussy cat. Not very macho. And it's not too macho. And I needed macho. At the yeah, time you weren't like, I see a dragon. Yeah. And then I saw a lion and I threw up my hand and I said, Oh, I see a, I, I'm a, a tiger. I said, I got a tiger. And, uh, and then he came over and, and through a series of steps guided me to the moon. And I land on the moon and the moon types. It doesn't talk, it types. And so I have a screen and it started, I started talking to it and I said, hi, Mrs. Moon. And it's typed out, hi, Jerry. Uh huh. And I thought, what the fuck? And I didn't do that. It did it. It did it. And I was in that thing of disbelief. And, and my first question to the moon was, why am I such an asshole? And, and she typed out, I can't tell you until you go get your soul. And I had to fly back to the earth, go into a house I haven't seen in 40 some years, my grandmother's house. And in real life, just like we're here, just this real, uh-huh. uh, as a matter of fact, even more real than this, like cheap video footage. You know how real that, it looks yeah. harsh, real? Yeah. That kind yeah. of real. Like, like Mexican soap operas. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> and some infomercials. Yes, yeah. that really crisp real. Yeah, yeah. It's too rough real. And that kind of real thing, I walked into the house and, and through a series of things, because I'll give you the abridged, the abridged version, is I got to a room uh, with a closet and I opened the closet and I was being sexually molested as a three-year-old kid by my grandfather. Uh-huh. And did you have an awareness of that throughout not, your life? Not a not a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Not one bit. None. Uh-huh. And I watched it and I said out loud, that didn't happen. And 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 they were still engaged in it. And Muganda heard me say that. 
Uh-huh. And that's the name of the shaman was Muganda. And and he said, what didn't happen, man? And I said, I'm watching myself be sexually molested by my grandfather, and it didn't happen. And he said, call your daddy, man. And I said, well, my dad's been dead for six years. He said, say his name. So I said, dad. And boom, my father appeared out of, out of nowhere. And, 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 uh, and I, I was looking at it. My dad was looking at it. And I said, dad, that didn't happen. And my dad paused for a minute. And he said, he looked at me dead in the eye and said, don't think you're so special. So it happened to my father. It happened to my sisters. It happened to everybody. And yet nobody said anything. Crazy. Because I think it happened when we were super, super, super young. Uh-huh. And, and, and so in that moment, I felt terrible for me. Terrible for me. I felt like if you ever saw this little boy you, you, in the situation, you just couldn't help but feel terrible. And, uh, but within a couple minutes, I started put, putting shit together. And I thought, this is why I don't trust dudes, any dude. This is why I'm, I've strange sex stuff with women. That, why I can't connect is the thing that went through my, because I couldn't connect with any women, none. Uh, I had sex with a bunch, uh, but I couldn't connect with them. Uh-huh. Why I'm an alcoholic, easy to see. Why I'm a drug addict, easy to see. Like, it explained fucking why I'm an asshole, easy to see. Why no amount of money is ever enough, easy to see, simple. Uh huh. And I started feeling okay about it, like really okay. And, and, and I thought, how cool is that moon? Because I asked her, why am I such an asshole? And in fucking 40 minutes, she solved it. Like, I've been wondering that my whole life, you know, all kinds of therapy, five years of, of therapy, seven days a week is a lot. And I couldn't crack it, couldn't get near it. Uh-huh. And in, 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 in 45 minutes, she showed me. And then the rest of the night, uh, she started answering all my questions about life. And she answered them in the funniest way, in the most sincere and direct, like concise shit that footed and tied, that made sense. I was like, I love this lady. I, w- I want to clarify uh, the medicine you're on was iboga, right? Iboga. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is uh, uh, from Africa? It's an African root. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's active in greens, ibogaine. Right, uh-huh. okay. And there's like ibogaine clinics around in, yeah, there in are. different countries that give people off opiates and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, it's great for getting off opiates. The whole experience, so you, you need to use the whole plant. Mm. Uh-huh. To have oh, the, interesting. To have the so whole they thing. take out the ibogaine and kind of create a pharmaceutical uh-huh. it's a constituent. Yep. And then okay, and it's great for addicts. It's great. Yeah. No, I would. It's great. For and how do you take the iboga? Is it a tea or no? Yeah, powder? it's in a, in a powder. Oh, and it's interesting. Horrible. Really, it makes ayahuasca. It tastes like Coca-Cola. See, I think ayahuasca tastes good. Every single person I know that's done uh-huh. it is like, oh yeah, I can taste it right now. It makes me want to puke. To me, it tastes like um, 
I, I Vegemite did, water? No, it tastes like kind of like Jägermeister. It has, uh, a, it has a little bit of a, um, a prune juice meets licorice uh-huh. sort of flavor. <laughs> but when I take the shot in ceremony, I'm always like, I'll have a cup, another one. You know, I'm not going to, but <laughs> I'm thinking, what, this actually tastes good. And I think I'm so hungry by the time that comes because you don't eat all day yeah. that I'm like, God, just give me something. And that maybe that's why it tastes decent to me. But anyway, uh-huh. uh, Iboga tastes like shit, huh? Terrible. Ter- like terrible, 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 toxic sawdust. And how terrible. and how long does it take to to come on? Forty five. Oh wow! Same thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and and, but in that in that thing, she answered all these questions, and and that night, uh, that night was the end of everything for me, and the beginning of everything else. And then I did the medicine two days later, and she told uh, he, uh, a boga is a male plant. The moon's a female, but the moon said to me to buy this place, and to, so within two months, uh huh, I went from being a cuckoo bird. I used to do mounds of cocaine, like it was crazy, to doing nothing and buying this place in two months, and and we bought this. I bought this in my first journey was in July 4th of 2014. I closed on this place in December of the same year. Closed wow. On it. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I bought it and just bought it. And how, then, how much for, for those listening that can't see, I mean, obviously you can go to the Rhythmia website and see pictures and stuff like that, but this is a pretty impressive compound. It's a quite a large retreat center. Yeah, very, how much of this structurally was here? Were all these buildings here? Was it nicely landscaped like this or was it, it, dilapidated it, or like what was here when you bought it? It was uh, a hotel okay. and it was a flex space for the Marriott, for the Marriott hotel, but it's a big hotel. It's a big, it's a big place. 60 room, you know, actually 68 room, but, but 140 people kind of place. Right. And, uh, and I bought it and, and then I wasn't, didn't have a license, didn't anything. I just listened. I kept doing the aboga. And the Iboga would tell me what to do next. And, and you know, the, in the history of the world, there's never been a place uh, that had a medical license and was doing plant medicine. But we did that. We got a medical license. Uh, so you worked with the, the, the government, government of Costa everything, Rica? The, our attorneys, the government uh, got the license. It took a year. Opened up in, in January of 2016, February of 2016. And at that point, Aboga told us to use ayahuasca. So the moon said, use ayahuasca. And I said, why? And it was because it was more gentle. And in the process that I went through that night, that first night, was that the medicine made me admit who I was. And, and basically, my soul told me I'm a fucking lying asshole. And uh, so the first night, I said, okay, I'm a lying asshole. I agreed with it. And then it merged my soul back with it. It merged my soul and gave me a new heart. And it said, we're building this place so that other people could come, see who they become, merge back with their soul and get their heart healed. And it sounded so crazy. Well, $10 million later, after all the smoke cleared, uh-huh, of, of money that I was going to invest in, in strip clubs. The cockpit? The cockpit. 
<laughs> was my strip club. That's what I was going to do. I was going to open uh, a, a string of strip clubs. What do you think would have, not counting all other elements of fulfillment, what, what would have made more money, that or this? That by a long shot. Yeah. <laughs> by, by a ton. It shows where humanity's consciousness is, you know? Um, that, that was, somebody's going to take that and run. But here's the thing. That was a brilliant idea. I couldn't even imagine uh, being associated with anything like that. I couldn't even own a bar. I couldn't own, in other words, if I own company, if I own stock in a company that I found out owned a bar, I'd sell the stock. I can't, I just can't do it. I can't exploit. I can't do it. You know, I, when I saw the shit that I saw about myself that night, I can't do it. Nothing against people who are doing it. I can't, I can't do it. Uh huh. I can't do it. I could never hurt a woman. Like it's crazy the way my mind works now, what it's allowed to do. <clears throat> but the, uh, yeah, so we, we started the thing and, and put people through the exact program that I went through, the exact thing of the night. And the, because the, the aboga typed, there's about 460 questions. I had 46 journeys over these 460 questions about exactly how to do this. And so we're doing it exactly like the moon said. Uh-huh. And you'll see you're halfway through. You'll see by the end how the pieces fit together. And it's crazy. So to date, we've had about 4,300 people uh, through the doors here. And and about 95.22% of them have the same miracle that I had. They get to merge and they get their heart healed. And that's fucking crazy. So that's 900, 955 out of 1,000 people have the exact same thing happen. And then... And then 92% of those that didn't but come back have it happen. So you're just looking at a little tiny, tiny sliver of people who didn't have it, like less than 1% uh by the time the the comebacks don't get it. So like it's happening to everybody. And, And I believe that it's the consciousness of these plants that are as God that want humanity to save itself. Like, this is about an opening of the heart. To So what the medicine said, what the moon said, was the reason that I had to do all this was so that light workers and light warriors had a place to come, and that's the only two types of people that would come here, that a place to come where they could see who they become, merge back with their soul and heal their heart, so that they can better participate in the shift. This is the fucking thing. And I believed her. It's the first time at, at I think I was 50 or 51, I guess at the time. First time in my life I've ever listened to anyone was that moon. And I did exactly, when I tell you exactly, I did exactly what she said. Uh-huh. And for the first six months after the year, and I opened the doors and nobody showed up. I thought, maybe the whole thing is bullshit. Maybe the moon <laughs> oh, was fucking with me because of what a bad guy I was. Wow. That's what I was thinking. Wow. And, and I would keep going to see her and she would say, no, just wait. No, just wait. And then it started happening. And then people started coming from all over. 
Like I have people every week from fucking Dubai, from tons from Australia, New Zealand. There's a lady from Seychelles last week. There's a lady from the Canary Islands last week. Like they come from all over the world because something about the story calls to their soul that their soul wants the same thing. Their soul wants to merge back with the person. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Would you like me to save you some serious cash right now? Listen up. You're probably wasting tons of money on vitamins, herbs, supplements, maybe even prescription drugs, trying to improve your sleep, your sense of well-being, happiness, your energy levels. And I'm here to tell you, all you really need to do is probably just get solid REM and deep sleep. Not enough hours per se, but enough of the right types of sleep. And I can also tell you, based on my research and interviews with over 200 experts on this here podcast over the past few years, that if you are not blocking blue light from your life at night, you are not producing enough melatonin to give you the type of sleep that you really need. Enter the company, one of my favorite sponsors, Blue Blocks. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. Make some not only attractive and pretty cool looking glasses of the prescription, non-prescription, and even reading glass nature, but you can also get 15% off on their website by entering the code LIFESTYLIST. So their glasses look cool, but they really work to cut out the blue and green spectrum of light that trashes your melatonin, hormones, and neurotransmitters. So if you want to be healthy, listen, stop ordering a couple of those supplements and just work on your lighting. This is really, really important. And I'm very enthusiastic about this because after changing all the lighting in my house to old style incandescent bulbs, and wearing protective uh, glasses like this at night when I go out or watch TV or work on a computer, whatever the case may be, um, my health has improved dramatically and so has my energy and my mood. It's serious stuff and it's very affordable and much cheaper than some of the other interventions that you're probably trying right now or some of the medical interventions that are likely to be necessary later on. So go to blueblocks.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15%. If you're into health, you know there's tons of companies that are slanging vitamins and supplements that supposedly give you energy to do things like, well, record a podcast or work out. Well, there's one company called Four Sigmatic that you've probably heard me talk about, and I'm going to talk about again right now, that make one of the most badass energy-producing products on the market, and it is made from cordyceps mushrooms. Yeah, weird. Now, it's made from mushrooms, but it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It gives you physical energy and endurance, scientifically proven to do so. Cordyceps are adaptogens, but they're not like stimulants. In other words, they help you maintain energy levels without getting you super hyped, like a coffee product, for example. Now, you can mix them with your coffee if you want to go full bore, like I do a lot of the time. But Four Sigmatic products are dope because they come in these little um, easy-to-use packets. They're also great for travel. I always have them like in my you know, my little medicine kit that I travel with. Um, I pop them out in the morning at hotels and just, you know, add water and shake them up or at home, use them in all my different elixirs and things like that. They're just really easy to use and they're really potent and they also taste good. You know, that's the thing with a lot of 
herbs and medicinal mushrooms, even the ones that work and are strong and legit, they're just kind of nasty and you have to be a real diehard to add them into your stack. And so what'll happen is oftentimes someone will say, cool, yeah, I want to use cordyceps. It really works. It's good for you. I feel awesome with it. But after like a week of that, it just tastes so nasty that you can't keep doing it. So that's what I love about Four Sigmatic. They've got the power packed products, but they also taste really good and they're super easy to use. You don't have to lug around a giant jar of mushroom extract, essentially. So here's how you can get your little grubby hands on some of this stuff. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. That again is foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. And if you use the code Luke story at checkout, you're going to save 15% off your order. My advice is in this particular promo, try the cordyceps. It's amazing. And now back to the interview. What's interesting to me is as I started to, you know, do social media posts and stuff like that in coming here, which I don't know, there's a, there's a backstory to that. I didn't know how public I wanted to be around this because, (laughs) you know, people know me as a guy that's sober for a long time. And I was like, I don't know, is this, am I still sober? Anyway, I'll, I'll address that at another point in the podcast if I haven't already, but, um, you know, it's it's what I'm doing. And I yeah. said, fuck it, it's my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. I've been guided this long to make sound decisions for myself. And this is already proven to be one of those. But what I was so surprised by is how many people had been here already. To me, I, I felt like I discovered this place myself, like Columbus. You know, I'm like, I'm the Columbus of Ayahuasca. And everyone's like, duh, I've been to, I've been to Arrhythmia twice or three times. It's like my Facebook, Instagram. And if, and if people haven't done it here... They've done it in Peru or yeah, somewhere, right? I mean, I'm just like, what the hell? The entire, at least in my sphere of influence or, you know, socially, every single person, it seems like, has done ayahuasca. I agree. And there's maybe, there's like 3% of people like, oh, I'm curious about that. I'll check it out. But I mean, almost everyone's like, finally, dude. Duh. You know, uh, I was like, what funny? the, but it, <laughs> where have I been, you know? Exactly, right? But I, you know, I, I wrestled with it for... Uh, uh, I didn't wrestle with it so much. I just, it never appealed to me. I understand. I'd hear people have experiences like yours. I'm like, that's awesome for you. I'm, yes. I, I'm on a path that seems to be working. I'm happy, you know? Yeah. But the way this happened was, you know, there was different, um, different uh, messages came at me from unrelated people, like your book here, Shit the Moon Said. So I think you know, uh, Josh maybe sent me a copy of this. Josh Trent. Yeah, Josh yeah, he's Trent, a great dude. Wellness yeah. Force Radio. Yeah. Uh, we're going to trade podcasts, I think, here pretty soon. But I think he sent me the book or something. Anyway, and I and then I, I was in New York and Brandy was at the uh-huh. Whitma event. Yep. And she's like, hey, I'm with Rhythmia. I was like, wait, I just, Josh sent me that book. Then I'm getting an IV, uh, an ozone IV in, uh-huh. in West LA at Advanced BioCell. And my uh, the nurse there who does the IV, she's like, oh my God, you got to read this book. And she hands me this book. <laughs> and this happened within like a two-week period. Uh-huh. And I'm going like, okay, there's, I pay attention when things like that happen. Me too. You know, so... Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's, all, it's all very interesting uh, in that respect. Um, one thing that I think that's curious about your story too, I mean, aside from the fact that you were just... Apparently, this is quite common, but you were struck sober after being so horribly afflicted with addiction. Sober. After that first um, iboga journey, and then having done subsequent plant medicine, I'm assuming since then of uh-huh. various types, 
Um, I heard you mention the other day, and I think Brandy told me this too in her interview. She's like, oh yeah, every once in a while, Jerry go out to dinner and he'll have like, you know, half a glass of wine or whatever. Absolutely. And it's no big deal. And yeah. you, you know, you said you quit smoking and every once in a while you have three or four cigarettes a month and yeah. you know, you don't start doing two packs a day again. Nope. That to me, I think is the weirdest thing I've heard uh-huh. in this whole experience. Can I, can I tell you what's even weirder? What? That sometimes I'll be out and I will want to drink, want to. And I'll be drinking it and it won't go in my mouth. So like the thing is, uh, you, know, you know how you used to love to do that? Oh God, but one sip of anything. And I'm just, I'm pounding that like I'm a, yeah, like I'm dying of thirst in the Sahara. Uh-huh. You see, I got, <laughs> it took the love. I don't even like, I don't dislike it. I don't like it. Uh, I'll pair it with food sometimes. Right. Uh-huh. But it has nothing in the cigarettes. Here's the thing. So I, I would smoke at, at ceremony, you know, because ayahuasca likes tobacco. But I had no, I was smoking two packs a day. And I went to smoking none. Uh huh. And I mean two packs a day. When I was a kid, I started smoking at 12 or 13. In my 20s, I was a two pack a day smoker all the way to my 50s, right? And stopped. And the, and the thing is, other than these few cigarettes, and then just maybe a month and a half ago, I said, I don't want to do that anymore. And and just stopped. So so the thing is like, there's just not, nothing has me. God, so, so It's so strange because in the paradigm of addiction recovery, and I've never wanted to test the theory because uh, what if it fucking goes wrong? Right. You know, like, oh, well, it's been 22 years. Yeah, I could have a beer every once in a yeah. while or, you know, take a bong yeah. hit. Like what's, what's, what could happen? Um, but the reason that I haven't is, A, I don't feel the pain inside that I used to feel that Correct. needs to be an exercise. Right. So it's not like, I just don't need it. But say I'm out you know, to dinner with a girlfriend. She's having a glass of red wine. I'll smell it. And I'll be like, God, it smells good. It, it, maybe it would be nice to have a couple sips of it or something. Uh-huh. You know, The reason I don't do it, though, is because within my own personal experience and hundreds, if not thousands of alcoholics and drug addicts that I've worked say with and met, thing. is that there's this physical allergy where when you put it in, there's a trigger in your body and it sets in motion this obsession where you just can't fucking stop. Or uh-huh. if you can't stop in that moment, you can't control whether you're going to do it the next day. And then it becomes twice a week, three times a week, three times a day, et cetera. Uh-huh. And, then, and then you're back in that loop, you know? So while I don't have a desire to do it, I just, I find it just fascinating that there's been some rewiring if you're in your brain and in your physiology from the medicine uh, or whatever part of your being that, if you're a bona fide alcoholic, it's almost as if, for lack of a better term, you've been cured. Like, I don't think, I don't get the sense that I've been uh, cured. I get the sense that I'm being protected by God. Uh-huh. And as long as I live a spiritual life and stay spiritually fit, that I'm granted this immunity where I don't even want to do it. Uh, that's and it's better. And it's yeah. very easy for me, you know, someone could be like, hey, want some Coke or whatever. And I'm just like, oh God, no, it's like so not interesting to me at this point. Also, based on the experiences I had before, say yeah. like I would be. Um, That's okay. We can go over. I'd be on. I'd be on heroin. Okay, and you know, like strung out for a period of time, six months, a year, whatever, and then it would get really painful, and I couldn't get high, and I didn't have the kind of money yep. you had. So it's like twenty dollars a day is only going to get you so well. And then, so I would kick. You know, I'd sequester myself off somewhere and do like a train spotting type 
kick for those that have seen that film. Yeah, I love that. Where film. you get locked in a room, you know, yeah. have have your drug buddy lock you in a room, you kick, and then you come out. And at least you're clean. What I would try to do is just smoke weed because I I never felt like I had a problem with weed. I just love smoking it all day. It didn't have any side effects to me other than just losing shit and not paying bills on time and just being spaced out. But the minute I would, <laughs> the minute I would smoke weed. And not the minute, but you know, that day or night, if I smoke weed, then I would crave alcohol. Yep. And then I'd like, wow, oh, just I'm gonna have a couple beers tonight. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it under control. I'd tell this fucking years, man. 15 I know years story. of this shit. Yeah. I have, you know, drink one beer and I was like, I'm just gonna have one more. And then there I Boom. am, 20 beers later, going, Oh my God, I'm bored and tired. I'm just gonna get a little blow. Like a quarter, exactly. a quarter gram. I know the what deal. What harm could come? <laughs> I do a couple bumps. I'm like, this is fucking boring. I'm going to go down to the corner and get some crack. Because <laughs> I need, I want to feel it. You know, I don't feel Coke. It's too weak. <laughs> Especially off the street in LA. There's probably not even Coke in the Coke uh, in the 90s when I was getting it. And I'd smoke crack. And then I get so freaked out that I would go do heroin. And uh-huh. so, you know, and this is a cycle that went on for years uh-huh. and it was like switching seats in the Titanic, oh, no. you know, it's like, yeah. if it's not one thing bringing me down, it's another. So I just find it so trippy that whatever happened within you, that you have a glass of wine so, and it doesn't trigger that cascade of let me, let horrible me events. Let me click into that a little bit. So yeah. I was, uh, I was on one drug or another every day for 30 years, whether it was Demerol and then with the Demerol, I would sleep with Valium. So I do them raw and then to go to sleep after the whole thing, yeah. I do Valiums or Xanax, whatever was <laughs> yeah. there. And I had a never ending supply because I was in the medical business. Oh, I get anything. So crazy. It was terrible. Yeah. And, and so my whole life was that ever since that day, I smoked weed. Uh, ever since that day, I just thought about it. I vaped a hit of weed once. That's four years ago. I, I took an Aleve and it made me feel fucked up. I can't take any medical, can't take any medical. Oh, so wow. I, I do no, no drugs whatsoever. The wine, and here's the thing. I used to eat meat three times a day. I was um, just eat meat. Uh-huh. The, the medicine, now I probably eat, eat meat once. Well, now I'm not eating any, but for the longest time, once or twice a week, I might have a little bit of meat. Not red meat, but chicken or something like that. So the body just doesn't want that stuff. So actually, when I go and have a wine, most of the time what I'm thinking is, I got to go to sleep now. As soon as I have, as soon as I have a half a glass of wine, you know, I, won't, I feel like I want to go to sleep. So it, it, it ends whatever I'm doing. Uh-huh. Right. So right. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy because something in me and lots of people who don't do ayahuasca and aboga feel the same thing. It rewired them. Uh-huh. The cigarette doesn't taste the same. The wine doesn't taste the same. Nothing. I hope I don't lose my same. addiction slash love for coffee. <laughs> How much coffee are you drinking? Well, a cup a day. Uh, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. That's not no, bad. I don't drink it all day, yeah. but it's, it's... Some people drink it's a, 10 cups. I don't even know if I'd consider it a vice, but... You know, it's weird. Actually, I don't think it is because I quit coffee a week before I came here under the, you know, the dieta that you do to cleanse. Uh-huh. And then here there's coffee, strangely Great enough. coffee. Well, on premises. And I'm like, wait, I thought we weren't supposed to drink coffee. One day I had like a quarter cup and I was like, I don't want to throw up tonight. I'm not uh-huh. going to fuck with the coffee. 
It's so weird. Maybe I'm not addicted because I was able to just leave it alone, but I really enjoy it. Seems you know? like you, you aren't. Yeah. yeah, I really actually just enjoy the you know the ritual of grinding the beans and you know making my whole little formula and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I think that's the only thing that I feel habituated to. Uh-huh. And generally, doesn't have negative consequences. No, I don't think so. Um, you know, when you talked about the rewiring, and you know, I know we, we've only got a that's couple okay. minutes no, here. But go go over if you okay. want to. So. I mean, could this conversation get very long? But I think we can probably tie a bow on it pretty soon. But you mentioned the rewiring. Uh-huh. And I'll probably share some of this and other portions of this kind of field reporting style podcast that I'm doing. But I've had the strangest sensation in the two nights of doing medicine. And that was, and I mentioned it to you earlier, is that it's as if this sort of energy of the plant, of nature, God, Yep. ETs. I don't know what it is. I don't really care what it is. I just know that it feels good and it feels right. Is like scanning my body at various times. And it's almost like this sci-fi geometric. Mm-hmm. It's not, I was going to say colors, but it's like geome- it's geometry, but there's a, there's a lot of right angles. You know, yep. it's like very mechanical, but all of the lines that are making up this sort of machinery that I see are made of light, I yes. guess you could say. Yeah. And then there's this, because I'm totally losing my body because I'm so surrendered into the, the process and just trusting the medicine that the body just like becomes a piece of floppy meat. Uh-huh. Like jello meat, like Play-Doh. And I'm just like, just sunken into the mattress and just allowing my consciousness to interface with this intelligence, which is coming to me in this almost robotic ET sort of type of energy. And there's been numerous times in the past two nights ceremony where it's making sounds and and, um, visions of scanning my body and working on different parts of me. There was one point at which speaking of the heart healing, that this big sort of telescoping kind of machinery came out of this uh, ship entity type thing. And and it's like extending and doing all this shit coming down and then attached to my heart. And then was like, you know, doing all this crazy shit and like readjusting my heart. That was the only heart one. But I've had multiple times where it's, I just keep surrendering. I just go, I trust you. I trust you like, do do what you got to do. You know, I just let go. Because at times it's scary and unnerving, especially yeah. having not felt any other altered state of consciousness for so long. It's kind of like, whoa, is this really happening? But there's been multiple times where it's gone through my brain and I'm feeling like things, what feels like moving inside my brain and seeing lights and shapes and sensations and sounds scanning my brain. Yes. And then this awareness came to me, oh, you're fixing my brain. Yep. That's what it feels like. It's like, holy shit, it's fixing my brain right now. Yes. And, you know, I don't walk around thinking, oh, there's something wrong with my brain, but I have done some, I've treated my brain poorly at different (laughs) stages as we've discussed. Um, But yeah, that's that's so interesting, that sort of the the repairing mechanism and the healing mechanism that has come to me, not, you know, not in the form of seeing the loving mother ayahuasca's face or leopards or trees. There's like no nature with the exception of last night. I had some some that incorporated elements of the earth, you know, water, stone, dirt, trees, plants, all that. But really most of it has been that kind of mechanistic ET (laughs) spaceship visitation. Here's the craziest thing. 
that, you know, we keep data on everything that happens. Every single client that comes through, every single guest, uh, by the time six months have gone by, I think we have 14 different data points from them. And 73 is 73.82% of all people have what you had, which is called celestial or sacred surgery by an alien. So that's extremely, extremely common, common. And and it's crazy when it's happening because people who are listening are thinking, <laughs> yeah, fucking right. But it happens. Dude, you have to have the experience. I've mentioned it to a couple of people that have done this this medicine, uh, just texting and they're like, duh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I've texted one guy. He's like, oh, the ET thing. Yeah, of course. That's happened to me so many times. <laughs> I was like, what? No one told me about this part. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's a positive experience, a pleasant experience, yeah. you know, uh, oh, it's so to good. have because it's, it's weird because it's, Alien, not in the sense of like, oh, there's an alien coming at me, but it's alien and that it's like, whoa, this isn't from this dimension that I'm used no. to existing in. It's right. from some other sort of dimension, not another planet, but just another plane of reality that I'm normally not partaking in and existing in. And it's like, I'm either being uh, portaled into that reality or they're coming into my reality or it's a third third phase of reality that we're sharing together and it's like I'm being visited and something's coming in like, hey, and I just keep going, the door's open. Come on in, <laughs> you know, do your thing. But it's it's as alien as it is, it's also very familiar. It's and so the creepy thing yeah. is you already know it. Right. When you see it, there's a recognition. It's like, I know that. How the fuck do I know that? Like, but I know it crazy yeah, shit yeah that's cool and that's that enables the the trust to really go deeper too uh-huh. because it's not a feeling like oh my god what are what's what's it doing to me or what are they doing to me it's just like hey please fix me you want to scan me and start <laughs> sending Prodding. lasers into my brain and shit cool let's do it because you know i i definitely need help so it's just it's been a really just such a fantastic experience Beautiful. so far I'm so glad uh the the last thing that i'd like to ask you in um in closing is I have one final question, but one of the things that really prompted me to follow through and encouraged my heart to to go through this process here at Rhythmia was the people associated with the organization, like Gabor Mate, mm-hmm. who uh, I'll be interviewing soon, which I'm really excited about, and uh, Michael Beckwith Michael from Beckwith Agape, Agape. I mean, you guys Graham have... Graham Hancock. Yeah, Graham Hancock. I mean, when you look at the site, I was like, oh... That really just kind of eliminated any doubt that I uh-huh. had, especially especially I think Gabor Mate, just because he has such a deep understanding of addiction. Uh-huh. And if he's going to endorse something that is quite popular amongst recovering people, uh, I just trust his integrity and his expertise. Uh-huh. You know, how did you how did you get involved with those well, those three? The, for example, uh, let me tell you the whole thing. Gabor Mate is no longer on our board. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I'm glad he was when I looked at the he's website. A per, he's a great friend. <laughs> Okay. And and great guy, but everybody's you know business things are different, right? Right. But uh, Graham Hancock's on my board of directors. Uh, Michael Beckwith is designed a program for us and is here all the time with that program. He was just here three weeks ago, uh, and all of the thought leaders that that come and support us, the Greg Bradens, the da 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 da, they they come here because they see the results in people. So like a lot of work, there's all kinds of places do all kinds of wonderful workshops. And three or four weeks later, the person is undone again. 
And, and what sets us apart is that this system that we have of incorporating the plant medicine and, and the metaphysical teachings, right? With the way that we do it. It's not my way. It's the moon's way of doing it, right? Uh, 97.55% of the people six months later get an email. 97.55 electronic survey say that this was the week that changed their life and that what they got stayed. So this is really a life-changing thing. And when people that are involved in addictions, involved in 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 psychological, like they're all the psychology stuff, Graham Hancock's, uh, John Parkinson's of the world, Foster and Kimberly Gambles, when they see that and stick their finger in the wound, that it really works and really sticks, they just automatically, because when you first hear about it, it sounds fucking kooky. Especially that, that it was built by the moon. <laughs> and it was built by the moon. It sounds some crazy where, where, shit. Uh, where did your programming? Do you have a PhD on staff that has you know developed the system? Oh no, the moon told me some stuff, and I just followed it to a T. And here we go. And that <clears> and that scares a lot. So at yeah. the same, it's scary yet intriguing too, because the PhDs have let everybody down and all that, right? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm I'm workshop junkie. I've been doing this shit for years, and you know, I've made steady improvement, but. I don't know that I've ever gone to something and walked out a changed man, you know, uh-huh. in a week or something like that. Yeah. We'll have to see you on Saturday. Yeah. You're already in a really great, you've done so much work. Most of the people that come here have done some work, you know? Yeah. But uh, some people are just out of out of moves and they're coming here as a last thing. <laughs> you know? but, yeah. but most of the people are people that are, are spiritual people that reached uh, a glass ceiling. Right. That they, they don't know why their spiritual journey stalled or they might have gone backwards a little. There's no new breakthroughs, da, 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 da. And, 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 and they come and it unlocks the, the thing, you know, that is it. And we're all in this progression of, of love, right? Like the, the whole thing I think people try to do is to be in love and then shed happiness, like live in happiness, right? And and all of this work that we do to do that here, it's 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 on steroids. So here you're going to have seven days of hard, or six days of hard work, but the reward is really there, and it's really real. And you don't have to recite mantras. You're changed. The, Something in you has changed and it makes me laugh. I get giddy when I think about it because I get to watch people have this happen to people, even people like naysayers, like uh, even Dr. Mercola. Dr. Mercola is a great guy, a great, great doctor, great guy, but, but he's hard to excite. After Thursday night, he looked at me and he goes, that was the greatest night of my life. You know what I mean? Like to wow. hear to hear that from people that have seen a ton of shit. He's a yeah. He's not a kid. He's been around. He's been yeah. around. Da da da. da. Uh, and, and to see like the the people that have Graham Hancock, you know, put his name on this. To have Michael Beckwith. And the craziest thing about Michael Beckwith is that when I first did this and this thing happened to me, Michael only knew me as a cuckoo bird. He knew me. I was a guy who I'd show up at Agape all the time. I knew him, uh, but 
I was there. I was at Agape every Sunday at a different woman. It was like crazy <laughs> shit, you know? And, and You're the whore of Agape. <laughs> I was the whore of Agape. And he, he thought, this guy's nuts. And then after I did the medicine, the moon said to, to call him and tell him what happened. So he back with his straight arrow, right? Yeah, yeah. And I call him up and I say, hey, I did this medicine. I spoke to the fucking moon, you know? And the moon said for me to buy this place and other people are going to do this the psychedelic medicine here and I want you to be a part of it. And he's like, okay. And he said, okay. Wow. And I was like, that's so because the moon told me to do it. And that's <laughs> one of my first things where I started thinking she's right about everything. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm like cause he wasn't like, that. wait, what? Uh, he was know. Oprah's spiritual advisor. Yeah. I'm like, he wouldn't say, you know, yeah, this is that huge church and da, 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 like, right. It was a big risk for him. And he sure. was right in it. And when he saw me and he saw the change in me, he knew that something, I was on to something. Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah. Epic, dude. Crazy shit. All right. Well, I got my final question for you. Uh-huh. I mean, I'll have more this week, but they won't be recorded, sadly. Uh, but this one is my closing question. So you've taught me so much this week. And in this conversation, you've taught our listeners a lot about life and this whole experience. Uh, who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced you, your work, your life that you might be able to send our listeners to go check out for themselves? Uh-huh. I love Beckwith. Like he saved, he saved my life. Uh, Reverend Kathleen McNamara saved my life. So the, the science of mind teachings really line up with, with how the medicine works. Uh-huh. It's, it's interesting because they, they, they tend to line up more than a lot of organized religions the science of mind, the thought process yeah. of one God, one like just the oneness of everything. You get to see it. It's it's so beautiful, right? To see. Uh, and so from, from a spiritual standpoint, I love that. Michael Beckwith's books, the science of mind books, they did a ton. The greatest teacher I've ever had was the moon. And that's that's the truth because I was a dead man. I was I was a walking dead man. And, and that moon uh, changed my life more than any one thing. Just that the moon and what the moon sh- stuff that the moon said. So uh, that's well, that, there's one more question then. And I actually wanted to ask you this earlier. So when you talk about, you know, having these initial Iboga experiences and the moon talking to you and continuing on through 40 something of those ceremonies yeah. and, you know, getting all these downloads that you wrote down and all the questions I mean, are you talking literally about the physical moon that we see in the sky, or is it a, is it a figurative a or symbolic? Here's the question: Was yeah. I there? I really <clears throat> believe I was there. I people look at me like that. You know, they, they look at me <laughs> my like eyes that. Just got really wide. I was like, I was not. <laughs> I wasn't shaking my head no or you know judgment. No, but, I was just like, what? But you know? I really believe that I was there. And 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 then who is that? That's the same person, the same energy that's in that tree or that's in you. It's all the same thing. It's just a concentrated piece of it. And 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 I really believe that. And I forgot, dude, I was flying. I felt like flying, like my shirt was moving and shit, like flying. So, so I, you know, and yet I was laying in front of 40 people who were watching me. But but do I believe that? Yeah, I believe. I believe you can be 
50 things at one time. I believe this thing called God, that, that it's so beyond our comprehension. You get on the medicine, you see a glimpse of three things going on. So, so me being sexually molested at three and me watching it at 51 were happening at the same time. Mm. Like it's crazy. Right, right. It's crazy. It's too much for words, but yeah. there's so much more to this fucking story than me and you sitting here and looking at this. There's so much more going on. And once you, and the thing is, you think if you have a, a realization that all this is going on would make you feel scared. It's the most calming thing in the world to know that there's so much more going on that you don't know about, that you really do know about, that's just happening and you're, you're playing dumb with yourself through this thing. It's just so fucking cool. What the fuck is cooler than that? You know, that I'm just like, Amen. it's just so cool. It huh? is. Amen. The greatest shit. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah there was... Um... I, I noticed that with, you know, as I sit here now, I'm in one location and say there's like a background noise. They happen individually. So I hear your voice. Now I hear my voice. I heard the bird singing outside. What's interesting on the medicine is the auditory experience, how you're everywhere at once. Yep. And you hear all the sounds yep. all at once equally. And they don't have a location. Mm-mm. At least if your eyes no, are closed. No, I know. And how about yeah, you? It's so you, trippy. You hear the guy. 75 feet away from you, swallow his saliva. <laughs> like, how true. the fuck is that? It's T- really weird. Me. It's really you know, weird. It's crazy. Yeah, There's more every, to it. Because every once in a while, I'll cheat. And I'm like, I, you know, whether I hear someone banging a, you know, a drum or there's a rattle or there's one guy in our particular group that talks a lot uh-huh. during the, during the um, ceremonies and he'll just pop up and just say some weird shit and then lay back down. <laughs> and, and I was at first, first ceremony, I was seated right next to him and, and for a second, I was like, that's kind of annoying. And then I was like, oh, no, man, it's fucking beautiful. And I, I surrendered into it. And it, was, it was funny every time he did that. I was like, oh, he's amazing. I love this guy. <laughs> Last night, I was like, oh, where's that guy? I wonder if it's going to be distracting. And he was way across the room. Uh-huh. And then as I'm laying there, every time he said something, and he wasn't speaking loudly, every no. time he said something, I heard it perfectly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Last night, in the middle of it, he pops up and he goes... And it looks like it's a real boy. And then he just laid back down. And I was like, I wish I knew the rest of that. You know, the, the context of his experience there. Uh, that was that, that was his statement. I love that. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, okay. How cool. Maybe I'll ask like him if I see him tonight, boy. you know. Um, yeah. well, well, who is the boy? Uh, so anyway, man, thank you so much for do, doing so what you much, do and, and creating this amazing experience and having me here to, to interview about this. No, we're, we're so happy to have you. And you've done so much work. And I can't wait to hear about the end end on Saturday. Like what you really, the wrap up of this for you, uh-huh, because you're, you, you've done a ton of work, you know, you've done a ton of work and it shows, it shows in, in, in how quickly one gives up. That's if, you know, a lot of people have a, they've done the mental work, but they're still hanging on. And then some people that have just done so much work, they're like, you know what? It's just like the act of surrendering to death, right? To just, there's nothing to fear, to just go into it. And you can tell you, you did a lot of work. And and that's going to pay off so much with the medicine because the medicine, it's so funny. Not that the medicine uh, will treat you mean if you don't, it's not that. It's she wants to be trusted. 
So, so the love affair, the, some people have just a love affair with the medicine. Uh, and it's because it responds to trust with love. So the more, and so the way that works is a, a wow. loop, right? Wow. So now the more I trust it, the more I love it, the more I trust and love and it's showing love back and da da da. Next thing you know, you're crying because there aren't words to explain that feeling of how much something can love you. Uh, and what is that thing? I don't know, but it loves you. You know, like, you know, crazy, huh? Awesome. It changed your life. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Luke. Thanks, brother. Well, that concludes interview number two of four in this series with Jerry Powell. I'm guessing right about now your cheeks hurt because you've either been laughing or smiling so much. And that's the exact experience that I had. And keep in mind, uh, some of these conversations are also available on YouTube if you'd like to see these hijinks in person, especially the one with Jerry because he's so animated. We just had such a great time. So make sure you check those out. And just so you know, the Lifestylist podcast interviews are almost always recorded on video as well. If you're a member of the private Facebook group, The Lifestylist Podcast, you can watch the behind the scenes recordings of most of these shows too. Just an FYI. Anyway, back to the story here. So had this really fun conversation with Jerry, learned a lot about his origin story, got even more comfortable with the idea of really surrendering into the ceremony. And after this particular conversation, I went and then prepped for ceremony number two, which took place this evening, the evening of this conversation. So there's going to be a bit of gap in the story, obviously, because I was um, sort of in outer space for the next few hours. But in a moment, I'll be coming back and giving you a report of what happened in the second ceremony. Stay tuned. Well, 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 here we are. We meet again. It's now day three. Last night was the second ceremony. And uh, I wanted to do a little check-in before I went in, but I, I just found myself wanting to focus on the experience and not rob myself of any grounding that needed to take place beforehand. And then once again, it was just completely impossible to talk into a recorder afterward. <laughs> There kind of is no afterward uh, is what I'm finding. But uh, the experience that I had last night in ceremony was similar to the first night in that the good news is that I didn't throw up because I don't like throwing up. Many people were. Many people were crying, screaming, laughing, having all sorts of different, very expressive experiences. Um, mine was more of an inward journey. Once again, uh, the first serving of medicine just kind of put me in a little bit of a restful, sleepy, meditative state uh, for about an hour and a half. And then when I went up for the second serving, I jumped up and I was first in line because I didn't want to be up all night having it last forever. So I thought, which is a little cosmic joke that you'll soon learn, uh, took place. But at any rate, I uh, started having a visual experience and that experience of expanding into pure consciousness and losing contact with my body uh, losing all thought, losing all feeling, but it was a little bit more subtle. And then at one point I thought that it was sort of ending and people around me were having these, as I said, just extreme uh, kind of reactions or experiences. Um, quite a, a number of people were having that. So I just thought, well, I'm going to go outside and lay in the grass and look at the stars and 
uh, I did that and looked up for a moment and I saw what I was hoping was a UFO because it was this wobbly sort of light um, craft going through the sky. And then I just realized it was an airplane that was wobbly because I was on ayahuasca. <laughs> uh, then um, proceeded to, to throw some intentions of, um, of surrender into the fire, you know, in a ceremonial way, some things that I'd like to let go of within my own life, uh, habits of behavior and thought and whatnot. And I felt really kind of back to this plane of reality uh, from which I'm speaking to you now. So I went back inside and thought, well, I'll just lie down because the ceremony probably had a ways to go. I laid down for maybe five minutes and boom, I got this second wave, which was really, really powerful. And then I had this sort of realization that there had been an intermission and that thought kept coming to mind. Oh, there was a brief intermission. And every time I thought of the intermission, which is when I went outside thinking the medicine was over doing its work on me, I just would laugh hysterically. Intermission, intermission. That's so funny because it was like this sort of playful thing that the medicine was doing with me in that I thought it was over and it was most certainly not. And then I started to think, why is intermission so funny? And right as I had that question arise... The words split into two almost before my eyes in, in giant type face that said this word, two words, inner mission, as in I-N-N-E-R, next word mission. Not intermission in a theater, but intermission. And then the thought came, we will now take a brief intermission. And so ensued an inner journey into the depths of my soul where I had um, an extremely beautiful experience and um, felt a sense of love and connectedness and just really relaxed into that. And eventually the ceremony ended and the sensation started to subside and I managed to meander my way back to my room, ate a tiny little snack, had some water, uh, went on my phone and kind of tried to get back in my head and back in my body and normalize a bit so that I could sleep. And when I lay down to go to sleep, within five minutes I was in full-on meltdown zone again in, in the most positive sense. And uh, at that point, I was kind of over it. You know, I had thought it was over. And so there was a bit of resistance inside, like, oh, seriously, can we not do this right now? I want to go to sleep. It's 2.30 and I got to be up at nine to do interviews and stuff today. So uh, I, I was able to surrender that resistance. And then I had an interesting experience. I think there was a little more shadow work revealed to me in that uh, sort of third round of um, third wave of the medicine doing its thing. But once I surrendered, I just kind of said, okay, do what has to be done. And I just was speaking to the medicine or to God through the medicine, just saying, all right, do the work. Here I am. You know, uh, the door's open. Come on in. Kind of having that sort of relationship to it. And then eventually I fell into a deep, deep sleep and woke up today. And I'm now preparing uh, in 30 minutes to go have uh, my other, uh, I guess it will be, yes, the third ceremony, which begins at 5.30, and it's a little after 5 now. I'm having just completed my interview with Jerry. I would like to do these transmissions earlier in the day, but I actually posted a Facebook video report and an Instagram video earlier, so I sort of used my reporting energy for that. But here I am with my, with my daily check-in, and um, I'm really looking forward to what the experience brings tonight. And the word this week has been trust and surrender and safety. And um, that's what I'm going to keep uh, in mind and in heart as I carry on into the next phase of this magical journey. 
Medicina, y medicina, claro y claro y medicina At this point, we're going to wrap up part one of the Welcome to the Jungle series. And I just want to thank our guests, Jerry and Brandy. Some great conversations there. Amazing experience so far. I hope that you're enjoying the ride. I want to invite you to immediately download part two, which include the third and fourth ceremony and the summaries of those experiences. Then two more interviews, one with Christian Minson all about breathwork integration and his years of living as a monk and how that eventually transitioned him into using plant medicines and breathwork in conjunction at Rhythmia and elsewhere. And then a really fantastic conversation with Dr. Jeff McNary, who's the medical director at Rhythmia. And he's a licensed psychiatrist and he's been working in recovery for a really long time, I think 25 years or so. And that conversation really delves into the science of this and how the plant medicines can be used for mental health issues, alcoholism, addictions, uh, just personality disorders and all this kind of stuff. So both of those conversations are going to take place in part two. So I want to encourage you to join us. At the end of this journey in part two, you're also going to hear uh, my account of a near fatal accident that <laughs> happened at the end of the trip and the realization that I had about the very first trauma in my life, which took place the moment I was born. So part two is really going to um, dive deeper into this whole experience. And you can get that right now. Just keep scrolling in your feed and it's going to pop right up. I'd also like to thank our sponsors. Of course, we've got Blue Blocks. I was wearing my blue blocking glasses in Costa Rica. You better believe it. I'm the only guy in the whole ceremony room once the sun went down wearing my glasses. And finally, I had to explain it to people because they were like high on ayahuasca looking at me like I was an alien. And um, no one, I don't think, really understood even at that point why it was important to my experience, but it was. You can get your own blue blocking glasses at blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off those puppies. This will change your life, I'm telling you. If you start blocking blue light just at night, you know, let's talk about your computer, your devices, all that whack light later. But for now, after it gets dark, put on these glasses, your life will change. You will thank me later. Then we've got our friends over at Beekeepers Naturals. I keep this stuff in my nightstand. Um, they're propolis, which is a really great natural antibiotic every single night and every single morning. I shoot that stuff on my tonsils. It tastes delicious. It protects me, boosts your immune system. It's amazing. Go to beekeepersnaturals.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off the most chronic bee products in the world. And I'm not even exaggerating 1%. Then last and surely not least, our friends at Four Sigmatic. You can go to foursigmatic.com forward slash the lifestylist. Enter the code the lifestylist to save 15% off your medicinal mushrooms, instant coffee. I'm actually taking a trip today as I record this. And you better believe I packed my little Four Sigmatic coffees because I can pound those on the road from anywhere. They taste delicious. They've got chaga and lion's mane in them. They are super rad. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, again, don't forget to tune in for part two where we continue this amazing journey in Costa Rica where I continue with a couple more plant ceremonies, a couple more interviews, and then, of course, the um, near-fatal <laughs> tragedy at the end of the trip and all of the lessons learned in a summary. So to get a summary of the whole thing, make sure you listen all the way to the end of part two. But for now, 
I am signing off with so much joy uh, for having not only taken part in this experience, but also having the distinct pleasure to report my findings to you, the listener. Thank you so much for listening. If you know someone that's been curious about uh, working with plant medicines, please do yourself the medicine and everyone a favor and forward this one to them. The greatest way you can support what we're doing here at the Lifestylist Podcast is just sharing it with your friends and family. And a lot of people have been doing that and it's so helpful. So thank you so much. 